Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. One question has persisted for as long as playgrounds have existed. Who would win in a fight? Whether it's between my dad or your dad, a gorilla or a grizzly bear, Goku or Superman, the question has ignited passionate conversations for generations. This persistent question is perhaps the reason why the fighting game genre is so rife with crossovers. Since the 1990s, video game developers have set out to indulge our fantasies by pitting characters from different intellectual properties against each other. No longer are crossovers simply limited to the Marvel Comics universe. X-Men vs. Street Fighter in 1996 begot Marvel Superheroes vs. Street Fighter in 1997, which culminated in the Marvel vs. Capcom franchise starting in 1998. The question, who would win in a fight, grew from Hulk or Wolverine to Hulk, Wolverine, and Omega Red, or Chun-Li, Jill Valentine, and Mega Man. It became a more complicated question, but the answer was always simple. Whichever characters your older sibling picked. Capcom weren't the first developers to make multi-franchise video game crossovers, though, and they certainly would not be the last. Whether it's SNK characters duking it out in King of Fighters, Kirby curb-stomping Pikachu in Super Smash Bros., or the Terminator terminating Robocop in Mortal Kombat, the examples are too numerous to count. Crossovers are an opportunity for brand boosting, inviting consumers with different tastes to unite in one place. And with so many acquisitions and mergers, the pool of characters corporations can draw from to create an experience means games like Multiverses, a Super Smash Bros. clone featuring characters owned by Warner Bros., can make Arya Stark and Velma Dinkley face off against the Iron Giant and LeBron James. It's not just superheroes and fantasy characters anymore. Now, anyone with a familiar face is fair game. Companies are in the business of making money after all, and fan service is an easy way to make a quick buck. Indulging in fan service is fun, but are we taking things too far when characters designed specifically to represent peace and non-violence like the Iron Giant are made to fight against Scooby-Doo characters? When does a celebration become exploitation? Tekken, the third most successful fighting game franchise after Mortal Kombat and Super Smash Bros., is no stranger to crossovers either. Characters from Tekken appear in games like Soul Calibur, Namco Cross Capcom, and Project Cross Zone. There's also Street Fighter Cross Tekken, a game that sounds exactly as described. There's Pokémon Tournament, a Tekken-influenced Pokémon fighting game made by Tekken developers. And Kazuya Mishima was added to the aforementioned Super Smash Bros. series in June of 2021. But Tekken doesn't just cross over to other properties. It also welcomes outside guests to its mainline games, with Geese from Fatal Fury, Akuma from Street Fighter, Noctis from Final Fantasy XV, and Negan from The Walking Dead all appearing in Tekken 7. However, one highly demanded character did not make the cut. Katsuhiro Harada, current director of the Tekken franchise, noted that there was a great level of enthusiasm for Kazuma Kiryu from Sega's Yakuza franchise. The inclusion would make sense. Kiryu is a versatile brawler who can just as easily beat you with a bicycle as he can with his fists. The beloved dragon of Dojima would not be added to this franchise, however and it doesn't seem like he may appear in any crossover fighting games anytime soon. In a 2020 interview with Red Bull France, Yakuza creator Toshihiro Nagoshi said the following quote, We've received an enormous amount of requests for that. Of course, there are exceptions, but fighting games generally have female characters, and personally, I really don't want to see Kiryu attacking a woman. End quote. The explanation seems authentic, and comes from what appears to be a great deal of respect for Kiryu's image and his principles. Kazuma Kiryu may be a bicycle-beating brawler, but he is fundamentally an altruistic man with a kind heart and an open mind. He generally reserves violence for those who seek to harm others. 
It makes way more sense for Kiryu to appear in games like Everybody's Golf and Super Monkey Ball instead of Tekken. Whether Toshihiro adheres to this line of thinking remains to be seen, but for now, I admire his commitment to honoring the integrity of his creation in an increasingly cynical era of IP use. I'm Kiefer, and this is Select and Start. Hello and welcome to Selected Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have a wonderful guest here with me today. She is the host of The Pacino Pod, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the filmography of Al Pacino. Say hello to my little friend, uh, Jane Altoids. Jane, how are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm very excited about the episode that we have here today. Uh, there's a lot that I want to talk about, not just about the game that you picked, but just about a lot of stuff in general. But before we get all into that, I do want to ask for the listeners who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, what do you do and what do you like? Um, okay. Uh, well, I suppose like you mentioned I do host uh, the Pacino Pod um, with my friend Callie, and we've been doing that for a few years now, kind of hitting the tail end of the tail end of his filmography though. So hopefully we'll be moving on to something else soon. Otherwise, you know, I, I write, I read, I do all sorts of fun things. I like to uh, watch films and talk about them and music and analyze all sorts of media. And yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a great answer. That's, that's kind of like how I describe what I do. It's like, oh, I do a podcast and then also I just sort of live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you like to read, you like to watch movies. What kind of, you know, when you say that you like to do those things, besides things that, you know, obviously star the works of Al Pacino, what are some specific books, movies you like? You know, let's do the whole icebreaker game. Like you're, you're at work or something. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I just, uh, I just watched uh, Perfect Blue the other night and that was pretty intense but a very good film um i don't know if you're have you seen that or oh, i'm a huge satoshi khan fan i watched all of his films last year and i'm in i'm in love with all of them yeah no that um i've been thinking about that film a lot i don't know i haven't read anything too recently i guess i wrote read um bob dylan wrote a book the philosophy of song i think it was called he just picks a bunch of songs and talks about them and that was kind of interesting uh, he's definitely got the grumpy old man syndrome at certain points, but <laughs> it was entertaining though. So when you say sort of like the grumpy old man syndrome, is it just sort of like he's a curmudgeon or is it just sort of like, doesn't understand? Yeah. More, more of the curmudgeon things. And I don't know, there was like one section where he just like took the opportunity to like, just go on about how divorce has ruined the country and like women's lib and stuff i don't know it was very like it felt like i was reading something from like the 50s or something there. Jesus. <laughs> but um otherwise you know otherwise sometimes he had interesting insights whenever he'd like mention something modern though just would I'd, I'd be like wait why does bob dylan know about tiktok or whatever <laughs> <laughs> that was always an interesting like an interesting thing to uh, yeah bob dylan's not a huge fan of divorce but he has a list of favorite vines who knew right <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I i yeah i wonder uh wonder how f- much he's used tiktok <laughs> yeah 
you know, like how you just sort of assume a, a lot of people just stop living after a certain point, not because like they deserve to die, but just because like you cannot imagine this person who was so prolific in one era can just live in another. Yeah, it's 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 always makes like time kind of like feel weird because like, well, especially with like him, it's like, oh, you're well aware that he's like still alive and performing and doing stuff. But it's like, you know, it's like when people think that like, oh, your teacher lives at school or something. It's like, like oh, no, he just, you know, he comes out on stage. He's like an ethereal being. He's not connected with anything else of the modern world or has any knowledge of it or whatever. He just comes and plays his songs and then like disappears into the ether again <laughs> exactly he's a machine you do not speculate on his life it's like the opposite of a parasocial relationship <laughs> yeah that's that's a good way to put it sure so enough dylan talk sort of the move the conversation forward more into the realm of video games and what bob dylan would probably play because he's been a right now but <laughs> but yeah i don't I, that's another thing it's like i can't see him like even like like the super nintendo that era i can't even see him like playing that and you know he's lived through he's lived through the entire evolution of video games so mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a whole section of why chrono trigger is the best game ever made that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> but no no community likes to gatekeep more than gamers so we're gonna have to check your gaming credentials before we move forward what's your relationship with video games like and what got you into them um well was i was really young when my um my mom got my dad a PlayStation for Christmas and I don't remember how old I was, but um, you know, he never really used it much. And then we ended up just kind of commandeering it. Yeah. Like I just like every day from like when I was four or five to like, you know, it it was really like a a thing that I was just like really into uh, until about the time the ps3 came out and then i kind of fell off a little bit but i was like but that entire like playstation one through ps2 up until the ps3 um era i was you know lots of jrpgs and you know that sort of thing and fighting games and wrestling games those were like the three big things that i was into (laughs) a lot of action focus yes (laughs) yeah do you have any particular reason why you think the PS3 era you just sort of fell off of it? Do you think it was a timing thing or just like an environment of what was out at the time? Yeah, I think um, it, it was just like a lot, like, you know, a lot of the that era of video games. I just it was very like heavily focused on like first person shooters and stuff like that, which I'm just not that like way more focused on like online stuff and like I don't know. I like playing with someone who's in the room with me or just by myself. And I've never, I think I I really think like the heavy push into like online only was why I kind of fell off weirdly enough. A lot of people, that's why they got into it. Yeah. (laughs) But but I don't know. And just the, like just the aesthetic of a lot of games, like the heavy, like heavy muscle dudes, like I, the monster energy era of games, I feel like, that's what I think of in that era. And I, that just didn't really appeal to me. <laughs> that, that's a very salient point. And it's something that we've discussed on the show in the past is sort of like the uh, way that gaming has sort of been treated as a lifestyle brand, especially uh, as it became way more popular around the Xbox 360 PlayStation 3 era. And I forgot about this entirely until you just mentioned it, but the, the huge emphasis on multiplayer games and multiplayer experiences during that time did kind of make gaming very tough especially for people who you know for example didn't have uh xbox gold or 
didn't have like strong internet connections in general because Wi-Fi was, you know, we really can't emphasize enough like how like the wireless internet was a lot more of a recent development than we think of when we look back in that era. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that was like another big thing is that like, I know that like, like the PS2 had like online capabilities, but like, you know, at my house, we had dial up until I was in like seventh grade mm-hmm. and then we got DSL, but we didn't have like Wi-Fi until like much later. And so like my brothers who were like two years younger than me, they got really into like the online stuff with like P- with like Call of Duty on like the PS3 and all of that. But like, I guess I was just like still in that time frame where I really didn't have access to that yet. Mm-hmm. So like I kind of missed out on that and just didn't really, it never really latched on to me in any meaningful way. Also, just like the prospect of like getting yelled at by like some eight year old and like called slurs and stuff for like <laughs> winning at a game just didn't sound appealing either to me. <laughs> I'm with I'm right with you there. I do not like playing uh, online multiplayer games to this day, and it's not that there's anything wrong with them. I think it's just a, a taste or preference thing for me personally, and also not a huge fan of slurs. <laughs> One of my favorite games um, as a kid was like Final Fantasy VII and like mm-hmm. just like pouring hours into like a story where you read a bunch of text and stuff like was, I don't know, that's still appealing to me now. I don't know if it's just a nostalgia thing or not, but like I guess when the technology kind of evolved and like there was less emphasis like on text and more just like overly like using voice acting cutscenes and stuff, for me that like almost took out some of the like feeling like you're invested in this like whole world because then it's like you're stopping and you're like watching a movie for a bit and then it's like oh i feel like i feel like there's a distance there for me right that period is also emphasized by like the uh oh we have the capability to make things seem realistic now so rather than trying to expand the form of what the medium can be it's a lot of just like let's ape what cinema is doing and try and go for cinematic tropes and have like these bullshit david cage heavy rain experiences instead of uh yeah yeah i don't know it's like not any real really different to me than i don't know like fmv games and stuff they've like been around for since like the 90s but like when netflix was doing that big push of like we're gonna include interactive tv shows and it's like Mm -hmm. like bandersnatch and they did a few other ones like i think like the wwe had like something interactive on netflix or whatever yeah unbreakable Um, kimmy schmidt had an interactive episode or something like that yeah it's like that type of stuff it's like you know i like the separation you know between the things i don't need at all to like to congeal into one giant object of content like i think the corporate executives (laughs) wish everything could be (laughs) that's what it feels like to me i don't know i i completely get it and i empathize with it um you uh you talked a little bit about uh rpgs and you mentioned uh final fantasy 7 by name i just got finished playing final fantasy 8 for in preparation for a future episode of this podcast and i had a great time with it despite the fact that it was so different from what video games look like now and was still blown away by the art direction of that game and how beautiful it looks despite obviously how rough around the edges a lot of it is just from like a time standpoint you know to the point that we've already been talking about it's just kind of like when something is authentic and coming from the heart and has a sense of direction and enthusiasm and passion going into it uh versus you know just best graphics possible let's test the limits of the technology and, and render something that'll probably age badly in a few years versus let's 
make something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like working on something that can be like contained within itself that isn't like, I guess the best way to put it is like a lot of games now get released unfinished or like way too soon. And then, and then it's like years down the line. Oh, it's a good game now. But like when it comes out, it's like basically fucked and you're supposed to buy it immediately and wait. It just, I feel like the push, you know, that that's more of like the push of like, Oh, but you see all the groundbreaking stuff that we have in this, but instead, you know, if you, you just work on it a little bit longer, you could, you know, make something good immediately Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like not like push it, you know, not like have to like announce like, Oh, we got to include all of these like 5 million groundbreaking things that um, are really hard to implement all at the same time, Mm -hmm. but still going to get it done by this time. And then when it comes out, it's, you know, obviously a lot of that stuff isn't there and you just feel like it's, it's a giant waste of time. I don't know. And, and all these people who are working on it, it's clearly that they're like being pushed way past like the limit of like what you should be expected to do with work um, by these like companies. And it's not working. It's clearly not working well um, for anyone. So that's where I see video games right now. And I think that's why I'm so like stuck in a certain era of like, oh, this is this is where I stopped caring about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like that, that that industry got too big and then it became like any other industry where there's a bloat and there's a lot of like, we're trying to play the system so we make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time with the shortest around a, the, the shortest turnaround. So you have annual releases like how we got an Assassin's Creed thing every year and only until very recently we got annual releases for every Call of Duty game. With the way the development times now, like you could make a great game within like a year or two and now it takes like four or five years to make what is considered now a triple a video game and people do not want to wait five years for a video game and developers need that time but uh, companies aren't going to give it to them so you have like this activision blizzard or ea model where it's like we're going to put as much stuff in this as possible to cash in on the times and then give you the least amount of time to work on it and then when the game comes out it's going to immediately tank and we're going to lose a lot of money but Hey, we <laughs> Anthem. The, I'm talking about Anthem. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's you see it like mirrored a lot with like the the model of like the like blockbuster filmmaking now too. It's like the mid budget. Like there is no such thing as like a mid budget game or like a mid budget film really anymore yeah. in these industries because everybody's just like has decided that we need to pour all of this money into one giant project that if it ends up sucking well then then we're fucked but on the off chance it does work out well you know we made a bunch of money but you still don't like all the people who actually worked on it don't so yeah yeah, i don't know know. but that's kind of i mean that's that's just more of an issue of capitalism as a whole rather than for sure. That's why like the whole like I want to support the developers argument rings hollow for a lot of video games because it's like, no, those guys aren't getting that. They're not getting the bonuses when that game does well. No. It's going to be it's going to be the publisher. The publisher's going to make all of it. Not even the director of a video game even will get a, a huge cash payout if it does well, unless they have like a really great contract. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with you. Um, fortunately, there are a lot of great video games that keep me coming back. I don't want to seem too cynical because there are diamonds in the rough but i do 
you know, empathize with falling out of love with gaming because like the broader trends are making the experience a bit more difficult. You see like what the best selling video games on the PlayStation were and it's like Final Fantasy games and uh, the Tekken series and things like that. Now you look at like the best selling games and uh, it's like the same best selling games on every console and it's like games that have been re-released over and over again or, you know, the annual releases and it's just becoming like this is this is kind of cynical and it's, it's hard to look past that. And it's just not it's just not engaging for me you know it personally and like you said you know there are still games that clearly were made with a lot of heart and effort and love and all of that but then you know it's still like like i'm not going to sit down and play elden ring i just i'm probably not ever going to do that so you know (laughs) (laughs) so it's just it's how it is (laughs) no i mean it's one it's one of my favorite games in years and i but it's also like a huge time commitment that's another barrier for a lot of big games is like i don't know if this is something that developers just assume people like or if you know there is obviously a big contingent of gamers that believe this uh just like the the price per dollar like how many hours of video game am i getting and how much am i paying for that experience And it's such a cynical way of looking at art that like, oh, if I pay $60 for a video game, I better get 60 plus hours out of it. Like, no, no, that's even the. Yeah, that's that's a little little silly. But, it, you know, like I I saw someone I saw a review on YouTube of like the new crash game, Mm -hmm. which um, looked really nice. Um, Yeah. And his thing was like that, like, yeah, there's about like four to five hours of really great amazing what you want and then they add a bunch of like 60 to 70 like back life like really not that different but just incredibly more difficult and stuff just to like pad out the rest of the game so if you feel like you're uh the 60 dollars was worth it yeah. whereas like they're really you know there really is only like about like a four to five hour of, of like of a, what what is a really great game mm-hmm. but like yeah but the rest of it is just is just bloated out and that's i think that's yeah, that's like what you're saying. It's uh, developers are instead of just being like, okay, well, you know, we could mark this game down to like make it like because really it's probably a twenty to thirty dollar game, but we you know what, what we really want we really want it to be a sixty dollar. You know, we want to get that sixty dollar money, so we're just gonna add a bunch of filler content and claim it makes the game sixty hours or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets marked down to like thirty dollars within a year anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what do you think the last like game that you played was? Like the newest game that you've played? Well I did I do have a Switch, although I haven't used it in a couple years because one of the Joy Cons broke and I just never I haven't bothered to buy a new one. So I can't actually do yeah. anything with it. Um but I was playing the Animal Crossing, the new Animal Crossing game for a while, um, just because that's a little like low stakes, not not really something you have to like stress over when you play. That's another thing is a lot of times if I'm going to play a video game now, I don't really want it to be a stressful experience because there's already so much stress in the world. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> like, my leisure time to be that like to, to add that to it. So so like Animal Crossing. um, was probably the newest game that I like played a lot of. Um, but I mean, that's like a few years old now. So I completely get that. Um, and probably another reason why you want to get to the Elden Ring game, because that, yeah, like- that, 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 that was another thing. I was like, you know, like the, like that's that specific, uh, style of game is very all about challenge and, uh, trial and error. And I, uh, 
don't have time f- for trial and error games right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a video game podcast, and we will talk about the game that you picked shortly, but I do want to meet you halfway here and talk a little bit about Al Pacino. Okay, all right. We talked a bit about the cinema of video games, but let's talk about an earlier example of it from before the PlayStation 3 era, because there are not one, not two, but there are no less than three video games adapted from films starring Al Pacino. Were you aware of this? Um, I knew about the Scarface one. Um, I'm assuming the second one was the Godfather game. I don't know what the third one is, though. Okay, so first thing we're going to qualify here, Al Pacino never provided his voice for any of these projects. Right, um, right. And I, <laughs> but I want to bring this up because I find this shit fascinating. You are absolutely correct. There is a Scarface video game, and there was also a Godfather video game. And if you were a gamer obsessed with Al Pacino, specifically in the year 2006, it was a good year for you because these games came out in the exact same year. In March of 2006, Electronic Arts publishes The Godfather for PC, Xbox, and PlayStation 2, uh, a game that was apparently developed without any input from Coppola and even knowledge, which means he made released a statement at the time condemning the project. Uh, Coppola, not a gamer. Um, with The Godfather game, wasn't that like one of them? Um, didn't they actually, they got... Um, Marlon Brando to do like a really like to do voice work for it but like he was in very like this was like right before he died and like Mm -hmm. I think like he sounds really sick in the game or something like I don't know if I like I I swear I remember reading that somewhere or something you are 100% correct it was his last paid acting role before he died and most of his recordings were deemed unusable because he was in such poor health at a time so they were just sort of wheeling in this aged dying man to do a video game job and he it's it's the same thing when like orson wells was voicing unicron in the transformers the movie uh back in like the 80s like he was dying like a week after he did that transformers movie he died and brando died very shortly after he recorded those work for um the godfather game and keep in mind he died in 2004 the game comes out in 2006 so they were doing that shit early our previous guest of the show, Maddie, brought up in the Mass Effect 2 episode that the framing device of the Godfather game is really fucking buck wild because you do not play as any of the characters in the Godfather movie. You play as an original character, a sort of mob Sona who is off doing their own missions in the margins of the events of the movie. So your character is the guy. <laughs> um, your character is the guy that puts the horse's head in like Jack Waltz's bed, or like uh, when Vito gets shot in the film. It's like your guy that drives him to the hospital. It's really, it's really fucking weird. So it's basically it's they they like basically did like a a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead type of thing with this game where it's like oh this unseen guy like all of the points in the movie where you're watching where you like you're never sitting there like well how did that horse head get into the like so it's like no we're going to explain how that horse head got into the into the bed it was this guy that did it (laughs) yeah again like a mob sona fantasy where you also get to be a part of the godfather but you don't get to do any of the stuff in that movie you get to see like the process (laughs) yeah you get the how it's made of the godfather in video game form so you're right um that Brando comes back, but uh, James Caan, Robert Duvall, Abe Vigoda, they also all return to play their voices. Al Pacino didn't. This also goes back to our Bob Dylan conversation where it's like, I forgot that Brando died in 2004. Like, for some reason, I always thought he died in the 80s, like Orson Welles. But- oh, you know, like something weird I found out about Marlon Brando recently. Um, well, I guess it's not super recently, but um, I tweeted about this like well, a long time ago. Um, apparently in the mid-90s, like... He like got really into like 
going online into AOL chat rooms and like getting into political arguments. So he was like, so he was like a like shit poster on Twitter before that was like even a thing. Yeah, I was about to say like, <laughs> I thought that was interesting because like once again, it's like you don't imagine like you know Marlon Brando from like on the waterfront or something sitting in on a fucking computer arguing with like some guy about like why Bill Clinton is better than Bob Dole or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wish I had like a riff on that, but it's just like wild. Like I've I, like the, I didn't realize that James Conn was on Twitter until like the year he died and like made fun of like a mutuals tweet. And, uh, that was just like a weird experience. He's like, Hey, that's a fucking guy from the Godfather. And he made fun <laughs> of you. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I don't. I can't process in my head that Marlon Brando lived to see 9/11. I don't know if he processed 9/11, but it certainly happened. When he yeah, was alive. that's true. He uh, he probably saw it on TV. He saw it, on, <laughs> and, his, and he didn't stop it. He could have stopped he it. Yeah, Marlon. Yeah, just like Mark Wahlberg, if Marlon Brando was on that plane, it wouldn't have gone down like that. <laughs> uh, but very uh, going through the other two, Al Pacino video games real quick uh the same year in 2006 a scarface game was published by vivendi games which has since been acquired by activision blizzard uh the game was developed by radical entertainment known for games like the simpsons hit and run which was out around the same time which i do remember i did play that game um i owned that that was a fun um grand theft auto ripoff with the Simpsons. that's probably the best like outside of the simpsons arcade game it's probably the most fun simpsons game and that's also wild when you think about this, because these like Godfather games and uh, Scarface games were made to also riff on the uh, the, the Grand Theft Auto model. Because um, mm-hmm. I mean, Vice City is literally just like them trying to do Scarface, but with uh, oh my god, Ray Liotta. Like it's like okay, we have Ray Liotta doing Scarface this time in a video game, and <laughs> some some person was just like, wait, we could fucking do that with the actual Scarface, and they did. Al Pacino, uh, again, does not return uh, as Tony Montana, uh, claiming that he and the producers felt that his voice had changed way too much in the intervening years. Uh, But he did get to personally pick the voice actor of Tony Montana, though, which is very nice. It was actually a career voice actor named uh, Andre Sagliozzo, who did like actual voice work for his entire career. It still does voice work to his day. Uh, King Boomy from Avatar The Last Airbender and so on and so forth. So it's, it's cool that Pacino doesn't just like pick like a buddy. He like auditioned somebody and said like, yeah. Yeah, you're the guy that yeah that's interesting that he had like an he had he did have actual involvement in the game when you said he wasn't involved i just assumed he was like i don't want to fucking do anything with video games get this shit out of my face or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah and that's the other weird thing is like you would think that a godfather video not godfather a scarface video game would be based off the events of scarface the movie right and no it's not they made a sequel <laughs> to scarface the movie and change the film's ending so Montana lives at the end of it and uh, begins which, his quest for revenge. Which is ridiculous because it's like the ending of that film, he's no no one has ever been riddled with more bullets than he <laughs> was at the end of that. Like there is absolutely no way that he would ever survive that. Scarface, the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Somehow Tony Montana is back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh <laughs> you, you were made into swiss cheese like yeah but i bet it now <laughs> uh 
Yeah. And then there was a third one. Uh, they made a sequel uh, to the Godfather video game for the Godfather Part 2. Uh, did not do well commercially. It was released on the PlayStation 3. Uh, it's a different mob Sona from the first Godfather video game, which is also fucking weird in and of itself. Just wanted to give Pacino his uh, his due at a video game podcast because... And he did host the Video Game Awards last year. He, he did. This, I forgot. Like just a few weeks last, ago. Yeah, it was, yeah like, it was fairly recent. We were, you know, we just turned the new year happened recently. So I, my, I can't, I don't know whether the right term is last year or this year. <laughs> At the end of December, uh, a few, we'll say a few weeks ago, he was on the game awards. <laughs> you can't say he didn't participate in video games in some point. I don't think he could tell you what an Elden Ring is though. He did take a picture with Hideo Kojima and that he was, did. so <laughs> he got him to sign his back. copy of a uh, heat. I think which <laughs> <laughs> is like, he had to have known that Pacino was in there ahead of time. Otherwise there, that there's a, bigger thing and i would prefer this narrative that he always has a copy of heat on him oh yeah he just uh, he just takes it with where, wherever he goes <laughs> you yeah. never know when you need it so yeah which brings me to my question i do all this build up to talk about al pacino but i actually do have a you know question for you about all that al pacino approaches you personally and says you have to make a video game based on one of my fil- uh, one of my films one of them come on and you're you're considered to be the foremost expert on al pacino because of your podcast he decides it's it's you it's you jane godfather and scarface are off the table obviously what would you go for what's your pitch what kind of genre a game would it be well i mean we just talked about the movie but he, i think a heat game would probably work out pretty well you know that would be interesting you could even like really do both storylines you know have some missions with uh with de niro and the gang and some do detective work with al pacino's coked out character mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be i think it might be interesting i don't know yeah that i'm all, almost surprised that during because you know during that era that era that we were talking about with all those licensed like those licensed games of like really old films like you know those those pacino ones weren't the only ones getting made because he also had the warriors and um i think reservoir dogs got a game as well so it's like i mean if there was ever a time when there was going to be a heat game it probably would have been in that early 2000s like that early mid 2000s time for the ps2 when they just decided that like we're going to repackage all these old films into video games (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I looked it up just to make sure like with absolute certainty that there was never a Michael Mann video game because it seems like, oh, this if any director would have video games based off his work, it'd be this guy. And the answer is no, but there is a guy named Michael Mann who was a video game developer who worked on the Need for Speed games and uh, Metroid Prime at one point. So, oh, damn, a- you know what? You know, when you like what they should have got Michael Mann to direct that fucking Need for Speed film with Aaron Paul. Instead. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a second Michael Mann has hit the Need for Speed franchise. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, Michael Mann. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think a Heat video game would work. Uh, we do have. Uh, there's an upcoming, like obviously the fifth Grand Theft Auto game had like three different playable characters you can use, and the leaks for the uh, upcoming one suggested they're sort of doing a uh, Bonnie and Clyde situation. So do it. Let's 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 fucking do it and like make you compete against your own actions and two opposing forces. I yeah, think. like that's interesting to me. Like, and Michael Mann put out the Heat Two book recently. Well, instead of turning that into a film, just turn it into a game. <laughs> there you go. I think I think I think we have a concept here. Let's 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 ship it out. I don't know who makes video games, but we'll find somebody. Yeah, <laughs> Kojima, please. <laughs> oh, I guess I mean there was a Miami Vice video game 
not i mean it was based on the original tv show and it was really mm-hmm. bad but michael mann did uh did create that show so i guess there has been a michael mann video game of yeah. sorts <laughs> that's but, fair uh, the, but as far as i know the miami vice game was is terrible so i wouldn't recommend playing it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, we, we try and talk about video games people like on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, my pitch for uh, Al Pacino video game is obviously Don Cacino. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do that. Wow! Al Pacino! It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunk Cacino? Don't mind if I do. Oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. God. You know, I don't even like a Jack and Jill game. I'm trying to even imagine how that would go. Like you have two alternate perspectives fighting against each other, like in heat toggle. Yeah. You toggle between Adam Sandler and his sister personas and God, that honestly, like the way I've seen a lot of like the kind of like Twitch friendly video games are where it's like, uh, Oh, you're a father and you have to chase a baby. So it doesn't ingest too much poison or eat too many batteries or some shit like that. (laughs) You could do that. Just like make it a palette swap Jack and Jill game where Jill is just, getting into such hilarious antics and other Adam Sandler has to go in and uh, uh, intervene. That's a good, yeah, that's a good idea. I think um, write up a pitch proposal and I'll email it to Adam Sandler. And I think (laughs) you could probably get this game off the ground. Yeah. And then we can get Adam Sandler in Fortnite and then he can do Jill can just do epic Fortnite dances. Okay. You know, that sounds like something that, 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 that would probably actually happen if, Mm -hmm will it into reality now so if there's an adam sandler Fortnite skin that gets announced i will i will say i will blame you for it so <laughs> blame me i will i will seek royalties for it <laughs> i want my uncut gems howie, howie um ratner <laughs> fucking howie in Fortnite. <laughs> this is how i win <laughs> oh oh that's uh, funny yeah there you go burn this I'm sorry. This must never be seen. You, you talked about other fighting games you like. We'll, we're about to get into Tekken 2 in just a second here. But besides the Tekken franchise, what other fighting games, uh, you know, Tickle Jill's, uh, Tickle Chain's fancy, excuse me. Tickle Jill's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really liked Soul Calibur 2. That was um, that was a really fun game uh, mm-hmm. as far as fighting, fighting games go. I used to rent this... Um, it was the game that came out like in between Marvel versus Capcom, and because like the first one was X Men versus Street Fighter, and then they released this Marvel superheroes fighting game that was in the same that same Capcom style. I used to rent that all the time from Hastings, mm-hmm. and that was really fun. Um, you know, getting to use. Oh, there was another. There's speaking of Marvel games, there was another good um, fighting game. Um, X Men Mutant Academy was also. Oh, really yeah. good. that was that was a fun. Um, fighting game yeah we were talking about final fantasy 7 earlier there was this squared made this fighting game around the same time i think it was called ur guys or whatever they included final fantasy 7 characters in it it wasn't like great great fighting game but i definitely like played it a lot just because it was like oh you can use cloud and sephiroth in a fighting game wow (laughs) (laughs) those were a lot of the ones that i played or remember remembering uh enjoying a lot as far as fighting games go, but the tech, the Tekken series was all, always the big one for me. Yeah, no, it was huge at the time too. Like all those games were relatively popular. I mean, um, I'm a huge fan of those pixel fighting games from the nineties, like your Marvel versus Capcom two. And I really wish we would return to that kind of 2d art style besides for the odd dragon ball Z fighters game. 
Oh, I also Budokai. Yeah, speaking of Budokai, the first Budokai game, I played that a lot too. Oh, I played Budokai. the shit out of all those Budokai games, like the first three, and then that spinoff Tenkaichi series was my shit. I love those games. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that there was a cash in of a um, release release of a a game that was like this was well into the PS2 era, and I think Budokai had already come out. But um, in Japan, Dragon Ball Z Ultimate Battle 22 was like a PlayStation 1 launch game. Mm-hmm. And then when um, DBZ took off, like in the early 2000s, they like gave it a bargain bin release in the US. And, uh, you know, it had no feed. Like they even took, they, they took out the only cool feature from the game, which was like cinematics because they didn't want to do, Amer- they didn't want to like do voice acting for all of it. So yeah. you just had this really terrible fighting game. So that's probably like one of the worst fighting games I played because I did own that one too. But, oh yeah, it's famously <laughs> famously terrible. Came out in 2003 uh, when it was released in Japan in 1995, and it definitely looked like a 1995 game. <laughs> <laughs> this game is older than Tekken 2. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's yeah, it sucked. But Budokai, Budokai was a good game. <laughs> yeah, love the Budokai game. Like not. Budokai 2, I think that was the board game one, and it was kind of like iffy, but Budokai and Budokai 3 especially were extremely nostalgic experiences for me. So yeah, thank you for telling me about all those great video games. I also played a lot of Soul Calibur 2, and you were talking about guest characters. Um, that is a series that plenty uh, does plenty of those. The reason I played Soul Calibur 2 was because Link was in the GameCube version of it. Yeah, I had the, I had the PS2 one, which connects it back to Tekken, because Heihachi was the was the special character for the uh for the ps2 one and uh Tekken. yoshimitsu's in all of those games right or yeah, a version a of yoshimitsu. like it's, it's a different yoshimitsu like it's like his ants like ancient ancestor or something but yeah it's the same same <laughs> who character. happened to also know heihachi <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then spawn yeah. was in the xbox one <laughs> uh-huh. for some reason <laughs> yeah in four they had darth vader and yoda as the guests oh i which... forgot about that yeah they did do that didn't they mm-hmm and there was also a Star Wars fighting game for the PlayStation that was bad. I think yeah. it was like Master of Terrace Kai or whatever. That's exactly <laughs> what it was called. And it was not great. <laughs> um, no, yeah, no. Obviously, like guests is now just like compulsory in all video games we have. Um, uh, Kazuya is like, one of the playable characters in uh, Smash Ultimate. You play any Mortal Kombat game and they are full of basically any ip you can imagine you have the alien the predator freddy krueger uh uh, jason Voorhees, uh fucking the joker (laughs) so oh yeah i never i never played a mortal mortal kombat versus dc but i it's it's not supposed isn't that not supposed to be not very good it's not great no the injustice games are fine but i do not play those for the story mode but like it's fun to see uh batman fight the ninja turtles or hellboy (laughs) That's the general discussion here. Uh, Jane, uh, you picked a specific video game to talk about today. Uh, It was an incredible influential fighting game that has carried into modern video games today very easily. It's Tekken 2.
Tekken 2 is a fighting game developed and published by Namco, also known for franchises like Pac-Man, Ridge Racer, Ace Combat, and the Tales franchise. It is, as the name suggests, the second game in the Tekken franchise, the third most successful fighting game series after Mortal Kombat and Super Smash Bros. I don't know how many people know this, but in terms of sales, the Tekken series is actually more popular than Street Fighter. Uh, I think many people may assume that Street Fighter is more popular because of its pop cultural presence and just uh, inherent meme ability. But Tekken 7 specifically actually sold more than any individual Street Fighter game ever has. And I think that's impressive and should be recognized. That's not me dunking on Capcom or any Street Fighter game, but I do think that people underestimate the Tekken franchise in a weird way. Yeah, it was... Um especially during that era it was like omnipresent i feel like um you know it was started as an arcade title and it was like yeah it was like one of like the playstation like tekken 2 especially was one of the playstation's big selling points i feel Mm -hmm. like for a lot of people that was the first game i ever like really remember playing and like getting good at um well i mean good at for a seven-year-old i imagine i if, if i had played against a professional <laughs> like or like a competitive tekken 2 player at that age i would have got you know destroyed but for for a seven-year-old yeah i think i was pretty good at tekken 2 <laughs> yeah at least one of us is decent enough at fighting games i i I'll, I'll tell you about my experience playing it later i did have a great time with it though like you said, like this was a huge console driver in the early years of the PlayStation. This was a driving sales thing for the console, and the PlayStation owes a lot of its success to Tekken in the in the home market. The arcade version of the game was directed by Saichi Ishii, who was also the game's lead designer. Uh, the home edition was directed by Masamichi Abe, who would go on to direct 1080 Degree Snowboarding and Pikmin 1 and 2 for Nintendo. Fun fact. Music was composed by Yoshi Takayanagi and Yoshi Arakawa. The music in Tekken 2 is phenomenal. It's like, great, actually. Yeah. The, the intro song, like for the like the intro cinematic, like is that song is so good. I don't listen to a lot of like video game music outside of like the games that it's associated in, but like that song, <laughs> that specific <laughs> song, like I would I would just like listen to it just to walk around. It's like that good. <laughs> You know, uh, there's a huge uh, house music uh, resurgence happening right now in the 90s in no small part due to artists like Beyonce making it a big part of their uh, sound now. And the 90s are nostalgic. And I think we should start playing the Tekken 2 theme in the club. Oh, you know, it's it's kind of it, it would it would probably bang like you just slip it in. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's like just slip it in between like a, a homework era Daft Punk song and you'd, you'd have a hit. You'd have a hit. <laughs> Yeah, this game was released in arcades in 1995 and released on PlayStation in 1996. This version we are discussing today is the console version. Other games released in 1996 include Donkey Kong Country 3, Super Mario RPG, Super Mario 64, Crash Bandicoot, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, Metal Slug, Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire, Quake, and Mortal Kombat Trilogy. Uh, before we get any deeper, Jane, you, you play any of these? I played quite a few of those. Um definitely tomb raider and mortal Kombat trilogy we i we did own that um i mean everybody played mario 64 at some point i feel yeah. like um that's like one of the you know and i we didn't even have an n64 it was at my my uncle had one at my grandparents house and we would play it when we go over there but um but i so i still played mario mario 64 i the the, the surprising ones to me are donkey kong country 3 and mario rpg because i always forget that like 
there were still games getting released for that in 96. Yeah. Because like I said, I, I, I just think of like a very like strict cutoff. It, like, you know, like Mario 64 came out. That was the only Mario, like, you know, the fact that Mario RPG came out the same year is like kind of blowing my mind a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no. We still see it today because, uh, I mean, we're well into this new generation of games with the PlayStation 5 and there are still like dual releases for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 games. And that's kind of controversial for a lot of people because they feel like it's stifling the new generation but look look at the society we're living in let's let's worry about bigger things but no i mean like in 1996 you could go and get the third donkey kong country game in mario rpg and i mean that's just good business because it, i mean you have a new console out but you have to support the one that already sold well and did well you, you got to play both sides it's it, it it makes sense in a way because it's also like a lot of the time i mean it even today, it's like no guarantee when Nintendo puts out a new console that it's going to be like a big, like it's going to actually be a success. Cause like, I mean, like I say, even today, cause like when they put the Wii U out, like that bombed hard. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, not, you know, like you got to still have backup plans to get money <laughs> and it makes sense, you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean even, even in 96, like, you know, Sega Saturn that came out and that bombed the genesis was a huge success so yeah <laughs> i've talked about this uh in a different episode talking about like the legacy of the playstation uh the playstation outsold the nintendo 64 handily it, it was smart because the nintendo 64 didn't do that well relative to their other consoles and the gamecube similarly did not do super well it wasn't until like the wii that they got their mojo back temporarily just by pivoting to a different form of video game so i i mean like yeah you gotta you gotta have games out in, in different eras because you never know what'll happen you'll never know what'll happen nintendo nintendo knows yeah and nintendo nintendo they um they're smart like i said it's like sega bombed a couple times and never decided never to uh make another console again and yeah and Nintendo's bombed a bunch of times, you know, like even in even even in the 90s, the Virtual Boy had come out not too long before that. And that was a gigantic failure. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like it makes sense that the PlayStation outsold the N64 because one, there was just way more games for it. And also the games that were coming out for it were like they were just you could do more with them. You know, like you could, yeah. like developers were much more, they're much more interested in working with like CD, the CD storage capacity as compared to like N64, who was still, Nintendo was still steadfast, refusing to move past cartridges. And there just wasn't as much space to do like, like the reason Square moved to from a Nintendo to Sony was because they could not do Final Fantasy seven on the N64. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say like, they, that's the reason they poached like their biggest third party developer. But yeah, and then you look at this list of games I just described. You have Crash Bandicoot, uh, Tomb Raider, and Resident Evil, and those were all considered to be like tremendous game changers, and they were all on the PlayStation, and that's in all in one year. And then obviously Tekken Two, uh, which you picked out. What made you ultimately settle on Tekken Two out of all these wonderful PlayStation games? Like I said, it was the first game that you know I ever really remember playing, and it was one that we played just like even like we just played it so much like there were and there was just so much like it felt like there was a lot of hidden like stuff with it that like you know you were all like you wanted to play the arcade mode with every person because you knew that you were going to unlock a different character with each person and that was so cool because it's it was like 
oh, it was just like such an achievement to like, oh, this guy, we got this guy now. And then like you keep on going and eventually you unlock the devil, which to me was like, that was so, oh, fighting with the devil. That's so cool. It's like <laughs> seven year old, but um, incredibly difficult boss though. <laughs> it's, yeah. Very difficult. Like you, you realize, oh shoot, it could shit lasers. All right. All right. Oh. Yeah. That's, that was why, that was why you were like, you wanted to keep playing to unlock it because you're like oh now i can finally use the laser move and just win every time and then <laughs> like you see the computer like duck and weave out of the way and it's like yeah and then oh. you're like why can't i do that <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no i mean it's a super fun game i'm really glad you picked it out because i'd never played this game before uh this episode actually this is the third game for the show that i played that i just straight up had never played before i was familiar with the tekken series my brothers were uh, there was one of them actually had a T-shirt of a uh, uh, Jin from the third game, and that sort of became like a hand-me-down shirt that I wore for <laughs> a few years. And it's like never played Tekken though. Uh, I played oh, so a bit. You, of, yeah, go ahead. You like worry? You don't. If whenever you wear it, you just you worry that someone's gonna come up like name five characters from Tekken. Go like you know like those people. Whenever you're like, you're a fake fan. You can't wear that shirt. <laughs> that was like nine or whatever. I don't know, but. Like, <laughs> When I could finally fit into that shirt, at least. Uh, and nobody cared about Tekken 3 anymore. They're on to Tekken 5, and it's like, who's going to quiz right. me on Tekken 3 anymore? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you until last week who Jin was. Um, yeah, and he I, isn't in this game, so. <laughs> not yet. No, I played a little bit of Tekken 7 because I do part-time convention work, and I mainly work in the game center. And Tekken 7 is a huge, huge game to play. And obviously, the competitive scene and just like great for casual play too so I, I see it have a lot of play there what what really appeals to you about the Tekken games and specifically too well it's like great um you know if you have like you know i have siblings um it's great you know it's a great game to play with others um it's actually you know it becomes more fun when you're playing it with others because you know like there's only so much you could do with the computer i yeah. feel like but even with that it's like I think what what was such a driving force behind wanting to play it all the time was just to get unlock all the characters and just, you know, see what all the cool like even in those little cinematics at the end of it, like when you beat each time when you beat it, just to see those cinematics at the end, even though they're like nonsense and really don't <laughs> like to nowadays would just like not be like worth it. But mm -hmm. at the time it was like really cool. And like I just loved playing as law. And doing those, um, this one particular move, the uh, wheel kick move. If you got good enough at spamming, <laughs> you could basically <laughs> never lose. <laughs> Kinda. And if you were playing with people who weren't like you know, fighting game experts who knew how to actually you know work around that, but like that one particular move combo was like basically unbeatable <laughs> for a while. for me. Anyways, I could I could always beat anyone with it, and that was fun. Yeah, Law was the first character I immediately went for uh, when I turned on the game and I opened up the combo list and I was like, ooh, uh, let me pick a character that might be a bit easier. So I pick Yoshimitsu and I opened up the combo list and I'm like, ooh, let me let me find somebody yeah, I had, else. I had, I had a friend who would always uh, pick Yoshimitsu mostly because he had a sword, but like he's a really bad character if you're a button masher because you could he has that move where he stabs himself through the chest and takes out half his health and it's use it's like it's like designed specifically to like piss you off like 
and have you not button mash to actually learn <laughs> the combos with <laughs> there's a there was a tweet i retweeted earlier today and it's uh jk Simmons and whiplash going like do you know why i threw the arcade stick at you and the guy's like i, I don't know and he's like were you bashing or were you blocking <laughs> and that's yoshi meets as a character i guess <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, like he's 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 a, an incredible character to play as if you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, you are literally going to kill yourself. <laughs> and I, I I admire any game that it, it tells the character to basically kill it. Yeah, it's like it's just it's just such a like troll move. But it's like it's kind of genius though because it's like basically like oh okay, you want to use the cool guy with the sword, then you better learn how to actually play with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, stick with law, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, to your point a minute ago about like the discovery of unlocking a new character and getting one every time you beat the arcade mode, I do think that, that is something that is sort of a loss now in a lot of modern uh, fighting games, especially because, well, there's the, the whole hype cycle that comes with a video game now that kind of discourages secrets. Like you it, to sell the video game to you, they have to reveal all the characters ahead of time because... We, we need to we need to sell as many as possible. Here's a Chun Li reveal trailer. Chun Li is going to be in a Street Fighter game. We know that. I think that I think the new Super Smash Brothers game did was like have like that whole like okay we have everybody in this game. Don't don't worry about that. And it's like I I want a little bit of discovery. I want to like have that like organic experience of like holy shit who's that when well like part yeah. of what was so cool about that era was just like all like you didn't like you see no, nothing was like the internet was still in its kind of infancy. So everything wasn't as readily available. All of the information of like secrets of everything weren't readily available. Um, so like, like things like that was just like mind blowing, especially as a kid. Cause you're just like, Oh, I, you know, like you just like discovered something. And you also saw that with a lot with like the reason why I think like the Pokemon games had such longevity around that time was it, there were so much like, hidden stuff within the game like it wasn't you know like and even the rumors that you would hear like some of them weren't true some of them did end up being true but like those Mm -hmm. types of like playground rumor spreading about certain games like oh if you do this certain thing like so many times or whatever you're gonna get this or whatever and it made you want to do it because you wanted to see this if this thing was real or this thing was actually in the game or whatever yeah Um, yeah and then so like and and this this just being like a normal part of the game just that that this character on like unlocks was i think an essential part to just keeping it like you know keeping you invested in playing it past the day you buy it or whatever yeah no i mean exactly the internet has just sort of demystified a lot of everything really Uh, i talked about this in a previous episode about pokemon if I want to look forward to a Pokemon game, I can't read any news about it because they'll just tell you literally everything about the game. And then it's like, all right, and now now I get to play what I read. And that takes a little bit of the fun of discovery out of it. And the, these, this era, you had to read the manual just to understand anything of what the fuck was going on because the game wasn't uh, advanced enough to tell you everything that was on the screen. And God, if I don't miss that a little bit, to leave a little bit to the imagination. Yeah, it's 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 a lost it's a lost art. Yeah, but um, it did. It made the games more appealing to me as someone who always likes a little mystery in life. I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like to keep life mysterious and not know what I'm about to play.
So let's briefly go over the gameplay and what makes this distinct from traditional fighting games because this is a very pioneering video game and also one that is very distinct from our traditional understanding of what a fighting game is. So this is the first game in the Tekken series and one of the first games ever to implement sidestepping, meaning that there was a third axis that you could leverage in battle. Uh, so not only could you jump or go forwards and backwards when dealing with an opponent, you could move side to side to avoid attacks with that three-dimensional plane. I thought initially that this was the first game to ever use sidestepping, but I believe uh, after some research that the first game was actually a Battle Arena Toshinden, which came out just a few months before uh, Tekken did in the arcades in 1995. So it beat it by a few months, but hey, I mean, it's still pretty revolutionary, especially for a game as popular as this one. Right, and Battle Arena Toshinden never really caught on the same way that Tekken did either as far as like mainstream acceptability or even like no one really talks about it today <laughs> yeah, i mean i knew about it and played a bunch of it because like i had a friend who had the game but it was a game that ironically got overshadowed by um tekken in the playstation like that's the game that everybody wanted to play it's like oh fucking tekken let's go play that and it didn't matter if the other game had weapons you could beat the other people with and i if i remember right i think that just graphically especially like the, especially i mean the first tekken was very polygonal and kind of mm -hmm. ugly to look at and doesn't but but surprisingly the second tekken game i feel like graphically has kind of held up pretty well especially for being as like you know early into the playstation run as it is like a lot of games from that time you know how don't hold up very well because graphically you know it's early into 3d everything's kind of like blocky and polygonal but i think it looks still looks good. All the all the um, different arenas you fight in are very beautiful and pretty to look at. Um, yeah, I, I especially like uh, the one setting where um, you know you're in that meadow field, and it's just I don't know. It just it, it kind of has a very serene vibe, and it's pretty to look at. Or even like you know when you're fighting on top of the uh, skyscraper at night, kind of emulating Jackie Chan or whatever when you're mm -hmm. fighting Lei Wu Long. I don't know. Like it's just like a lot of. A lot of little details like that, I think, really made it stand out and still makes it hold up today. I, I agree with you, actually. I mean, like, obviously, I've been playing a lot of PlayStation 1 games recently because of the show, but I mean, the game looks great and it holds up well. I mean, it doesn't look great in the sense of like, oh, man, like this, you could put this next to Last of Us and not tell the difference, but more in the sense of just like they, they knew what they were doing. And this game was very graphically impressive and it doesn't look ugly today there's a huge step forward from tekken 1 to tekken 2 the character designs are pretty unimpeachable you can sort of see what's going on with every character it's successful in that way and yeah like the cgi cutscenes that you get for every ending are a little goofy to look at now but they're still very charming and they i mean you compare them to what endings that what the graphics look like in the first game and it's very impressive and rounded out and the thing that i liked about the little cinematics is that it like kind of added a little bit of depth to each character especially you know if you're a kid it kind of opens your imagination to like what each person is like or what each person's backstory is and you kind of fill in the blanks in your head a little bit it kind of speaks to like this bigger broader world without having to do a lot of the like heavy lifting of like making that all come together or whatever you know it's I like that. I uh, especially in like fighting games. I don't think you really and you know the thing about the Tekken story line <laughs> is it's never it's never um, made any sense <laughs> really. <laughs> um, so I don't think it really needs to. Um, it doesn't have have a 
heavy story, but that's the thing that I, the, the thing I liked about this one is that, I mean, later on they started adding more like stories to each, uh, to each, every time you picked a character, it would, it would include a new story for why they were in the, and like, they'd give you a little opening cinematic, but I liked, I liked being able to just kind of like imagine what each thing was. I don't know. <laughs> I'm with you there. A couple more things about the gameplay before I jump into what story there is in this game. Also, ordinarily, uh, arenas in fighting games have fixed endpoints where you can no longer move forward or backwards, but all playing fields in Tekken go on to infinity, which makes it distinct from other 3D fighting games like uh, Virtua Fighter or Soul Calibur, which have ring outs and your character will lose if they fall off the stage. That's not a factor here. You can get some distance from your um, from your character here, and that can be a legitimate strategy in fights. So I don't know. I, that really stood out to me playing it. Yeah, it makes it so... You know, there's a lot more. You can play a lot more defensively with mm-hmm. Tekken. I feel like than you could with um, like stuff like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, where I feel like it was all about the offense. With like Tekken, you know, like you said, you have a lot more, like a lot more maneuverability with like in regards to what you can. Your playing style can be more fine tuned. I feel like it's it's it, it definitely created um, some more depth to the way that people play the game i think and that's a thing that discourages a lot of newcomers from coming into the game i think is because like a few direct hits can knock you out instantly if you let your character throw you in the air juggle you for a few hits you could die <laughs> almost instantly in, in street fighter or other mortal Kombat games it feels like you need to get hit quite a bit before something happens and that kind of encourages a lot more button mashing behavior that we associate with a lot of newcomers in video games and tekken isn't as uh, accommodating of that play style yeah, it, it, in fact, it, like I said, it, with with certain characters, you know, like we talked about with Yoshimitsu and uh, even other people, like I think like Ayachi and pe- people like that who use a lot more, um, who aren't ex- in, ex- exactly very good to play with if you're just using straight strikes that you have to kind of do a lot of combos to get the real good moves going. Um, and you're just not going to hit those if you're button mashing all the time. Like you kind of have to know exactly like what you're doing with that because like, but yeah, if you're like playing with someone like with, with Hey Haji, who, who is a really, really good character, but he's not a good character to use if you're a beginner, because yeah. like you said, you're not going to, you're not going to hit his good moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not going to, you can't, instantly teleport if you if you like button mash you might accidentally stab yourself right we'll get into the weird and delightful cast of characters in a minute but i did want to touch very briefly on the storyline the story picks up two years from the original uh where from where the original tekken took off Uh, after the first game's protagonist kazuya mishima beats his father the crime lord heihachi in the first king of iron fist tournament he takes over the evil mishima zaibutsu conglomerate and forges his own path of world domination he doubles down on the evil path his own asshole dad went on, committing even more corrupt acts like expanding the company's military output, kidnapping scientists to perform inhumane experiments on animals, including genetically modifying kangaroos and reviving velociraptors to turn them into boxing super soldiers. This is real. <laughs> Which is fucked up, but way cooler than Elon Musk just killing thousands of monkeys for no real reason. So if I had to pick an evil, corrupt billionaire, I'm going to pick the guy making boxing super soldiers at least. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's about you know what I was talking about with um, the storyline being kind of nonsense, but <laughs> but I do like the uh, I do like the um, 
you know, the the image of like Heihachi throwing Kazuya into the volcano. Yeah. Like, become an iconic thing. But it's like it's like this whole family is just so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. No. They like you get like it just continues to expand and like Tekken three when Jin comes in and it's like now we got another son who eventually who's supposed to be the good one. But then he eventually also, <laughs> like later in the games, goes. It's like none of these people end up like being really protagonists that like you root for, or like or particularly good guys. Which I think is an interesting little caveat to those games as well, because it's like there really isn't like a uh, solid protagonist who's like, oh, this is the good guy of the game. This is the good main character. This is the person that like ultimately everyone's supposed to root for. Because it's like. No, this this guy's an asshole. No, yeah, <laughs> you, you look, and it's kind of like the the framing of everything is like the bad guy from the first game. Ihachi is kind of the lead, like or at least the person with like the arc in this game, because it's like this is the underdog now. It's not about like who is the most morally upright or like the versus the most evil guy. It's like one evil asshole taking out the guy who is slightly more evil in this instance, only to double down to become more evil after they take over because when Heihachi throws Kazuya into the volcano, he's just like, damn, all right, let's, let's do more evil shit again. All right. Didn't learn anything. <laughs> well, I learned nothing. We'll get, we'll get to the volcano in a second. Cause I do need to like fill in the barges of like what led to that volcano toss as an active hubris. Kazuya chooses to hold a second King of Iron Fist tournament to further his own goals of world domination. Among the contestants is Heihachi who survived being thrown off a cliff in the first game. Uh, which Kazuya should have anticipated because he also survived when his father threw him off a cliff when he was a <laughs> child. Um, also joining the tournament is uh, Jun Kazama, a highly spiritual wildlife protection officer seeking to take down Kazuya to end his acts of animal cruelty because she doesn't want kangaroos and velociraptors to be boxing soldiers of war. After meeting Kazuya, however, she senses that there is good in him and he may be a vessel for some kind of devil and uses, I can fix him, fucks him, and ends up losing the tournament anyway. So the character that would have been positioned to be the hero of this story does not win. In fact, gets impregnated by the the villain of this story and continues to perpetuate this fucked up bloodline for the rest of the series. Uh, unfortunate. I don't know what the optics of that are, and I won't go too deeply into them. But Heihachi makes it to the finals where he defeats his son, retakes the company, and instead of throwing Kazuya off a cliff like he did when he was a child or like what his child did to him, he decides to break the cycle and throw him into a volcano, ensuring his son is dead for realsies and no one else can take his company again. <laughs> so yeah, that's Tekken 2's yeah. storyline in the broadest strokes. A uh, great morality tale for the ages. Look, I could barely explain the nutty adventure I just went on. So I'm not going to. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I see the devil. Yeah, that, that's why I always like this game, because it's like not even concerned with like <laughs> making you like the protagonists no <laughs> or whatever nah this guy's this guy's mean this guy sucks um just it's, it's a martial arts tournament just fight it's like it's almost like how wwe works where it's like we don't have always good always evil people we just kind of have like assholes throwing themselves at each other but you, you root for the asshole you like the most and it's, yeah it's, the mishima family is very similar to the mcmahon family <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vince Mishima. <laughs> oh God. I didn't say the N word, my devil did. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, no, this uh the storyline is bonkers and crazy, and it's more just like a vessel to introduce like just wild characters. But what really sticks out to me is like they're all kind of archetypal, but not in kind of like the uh 
kind of broad racism that the Street Fighter games dabbled in so much. It's just like, let's just have like a weirdo character who is also representative of this nation. It's well, I mean, it's very clearly like, you know, like, okay, well, Law is the Bruce Lee ripoff and Lei Long is the Jackie Chan ripoff. And like, you know, it's like, okay, we got to have, you know, we got to have representatives of each fighting style, which is, you know, like, got to have the the Taekwondo guy, the sumo wrestler. Paul is the American, even though he has the most ridiculous hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have fighting bear, fighting kangaroo. It's just... You know, just um, Yoshimitsu's the guy with the the weird guy with the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you know, Jack the robot, <laughs> the wrestler. You know, it's each each thing. It's like oh, it's the kickboxer. So you got every fighting style that you can think of. Yeah, that's the fighting style of Bear and uh, <laughs> the Bear that was taught how to do karate by uh, Heihachi. Uh, yes, <laughs> which I just love as a great character detail that Heihachi not only after throwing his son off a cliff adopts a kid and also treats him like shit just out of spite, but also like finds a bear in the woods, decides like I'll adopt you and raise you as my son and teach you how to understand Japanese and also do karate, and it's just like that's probably the healthiest relationship that man has. <laughs> yeah, him, him, and him and his uh, bear Kuma mm-hmm. are the two. Let's see. It proves that Heihachi does know how to love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, Kazuya has Roger, the boxing kangaroo, and Alex, the boxing velociraptor. So they're both great animals. You know, there you go. <laughs> he brought back dinosaurs. How is he an animal rights abuser? <laughs> no, the cast is great. You mentioned Lei Wulong, the Hong Kong cop inspired by Jackie Chan, who has a killer spin kick dash. Uh, Marshall Law is his full name. Uh, Bruce Lee's inspired fighter with a lot of fast and devastating moves. Uh, we've talked about Yoshimitsu, and I will continue to because he is awesome and has uh, an ending cutscene where he uses the, the the samurai sword as a helicopter to uh, uh, lighten the fall of <laughs> jumping out of a helicopter. <laughs> Kuma, who is a bear that knows karate. And then my boy King, who is a Mexican luchador and brawler who wears a jaguar head as a mask and uses his winnings to support his orphanage of live-action Japanese children. That was the cutscene. Yeah, that that, that's the, the best cutscene of the whole game. It's just, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my god, when it happened because it remind it was like very momentarily. I thought like, oh god, this is like watching Hausu. <laughs> the visual alone of like, you know, the 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 Japanese orphans of Mexico. Great. The funny thing about him is they imply that he, like, really can only speak in growls. Yes. Even though he's supposed to be a man. Mm Because, like, you know, like, every time he gets hit, he growls like a jaguar or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I read up on that to make sure, like, I wasn't misunderstanding that. And it's like, nope, in the whole series, he only talks in roars. And there's also another uh, (laughs) tiger character who also does that. Yeah. Yeah, there's Armor King, which is Mm -hmm. his friend or whatever his friend who helps him uh break alcoholism and uh homelessness <laughs> if i understand the opening cutscene enough yes <laughs> i love it i i genuinely love all this shit so we we we've, haven't gone over every single individual character in the game but we have like touched on like the, the biggest delightful weirdos overall who is your favorite fighter and if it's not the same answer who do you main when you play tekken 2 I, I it ha- I, it was probably law honestly because I just I love Bruce Lee and just mm-hmm. having like a Bruce Lee analog to play as is always like was really fun and that's I mean that's who I usually main I also play with um, 
I can't never pronounce his name right. It's a Taekwondo guy, Baek, Baek Osan, mm-hmm. I think. I play with him a lot. I like his little butterfly kick. Yeah. Combos. Those are the two guys I those are the two characters I play with the most, I think. Um, whenever I play Tekken 2. Those are Jane's main. Fast characters. <laughs> Valid strategy. Do you have like a favorite character just from like a visual design or like a backstory like thing? Um, <laughs> visually, I mean, I love the devil design. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I think that like he looks cool. Um, I like the purple and the laser eyes and the like little diamond in his head. And then when you fight him in the, in the, like the, the, the room that they have, you fight him in the boss, like the mirror, the room of mirrors is cool. Mm-hmm. So design wise, that's probably my favorite. And I also like that. Like you, you get a palette swap of an angel that you can play as as well with, yeah. um, with the devil, which is cool. They don't ever really explain what that what angel is, or I don't even think they ever expand on that. It's just there for Tekken 2. <laughs> no, I literally looked it up just to make sure. And it, what I read was Angel only shows up again in like the non canonical Tekken tag team spinoffs, is never mentioned in lore again, never appears as playable in any of the numbered entries again. It's just like, we have a devil, here's an angel. There you go. They were, yeah, they're like, ah, eh, you know, it's probably not worth expanding on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like I, I, and I think it's just like they keep doubling down on sort of like the evil of this family. So why even have an angel? There, are, there are no angels in the Tekken universe. Yeah, I, I think like the initial idea behind it was like, oh, angels supposed to be like if Jun, if Jun Kazama had um saved Kazuya's soul, he would be angel instead of <laughs> devil or something. I guess that's what was the idea behind it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that, that 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 introduces a lot of things because like. It, it, it is angel inside him is is angel just like him just getting over a lot of hangups and accepting like yes i'm actually a, a white blonde woman i don't i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it does raise it raises I, I think the fact that it raises so many questions is why they've never gone back to it <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they ask like uh the director like what does this mean and they're like i never mind i don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> It's fun though. I mean, like, why not? Let's have that. Yeah, I, my favorite character from a backstory, and also just as playing as his king. I like, I like a luchador. I like how tall he is and how tough all his moves feel. Just like playing as him because he's got just like his elbow drops and really tough, like in your face punches. I love it. Yeah, King's fun to play as. I like, I like executing all the, all the pro wrestling moves. <laughs> I think it just speaks to like the part of my brain that likes playing a Zangief from Street Fighter. So yeah, similar similar feeling, I guess. We'll talk more about like what this game means to you personally in a second. But before we do that, I do also have a section dedicated to talking about how available this game is for other people. So we have to move into our next segment, No Country for Old Games. Video game preservation means a great deal to me, and one of the goals of this podcast is to bring attention to the issue of making older games readily available for those who wish to play them. Uh, Games like Tekken 2 mean a great deal to people, uh, not just you, Jane, and I believe that they should be archived and preserved for all time, so people can also, like, gawk at the angel-devil thing, and also just enjoy how very tight this uh, 28-year-old video game is. We're going to take a look at this game's availability and rate it on a scale of A to ARG and 
Arg represents my frustration at how hard it is to access a game and is in no way be covertly advocating for piracy, which is totally illegal. Tekken was originally released in arcades in 1995 before being ported to the PlayStation in 1996. The PlayStation version is generally accepted as the definitive version of the game, which includes new modes such as team battle, time attack, survival, and practice. Uh, the home edition also includes those CGI endings for each character after you, after you beat arcade mode with them. So before we talk about the ways you can play this game today, Jane, uh, I have to ask you, when you get the urge to replay this game, how do you do it? If I got the urge to replay this game, I probably would play the copy that uh, was on the PlayStation Network for PS3. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like I said, I, have, I still have the old PS3 here. And if I remember right, it, it, it was very cheap on the PlayStation. I don't even Did they shut down the PlayStation Network yet for PS3? Or can you still buy stuff off of it? I Let's look it up. <sighs> Last time I checked, you could, but um, but that's how I that's how I play it. Otherwise, I'd probably buy a disc on eBay and um, play it in my PS3 because I think because you can't play PS2 discs in a PS3 with, but you can play PlayStation One discs. Yeah, so. I think it's because <laughs> like uh, the the PlayStation emulator is at least a core part of playing Metal Gear Solid Four. Uh, because there is a flashback sequence where you have to replay the Shadow Moses, uh, the beginning of the Shadow Moses level from Metal Gear Solid 1. So I think it is like, if you want to be able to play Metal Gear Solid 4, you have to at least make PlayStation 1 games work on the PlayStation 3. I cannot get a definitive answer. I don't think you can create new accounts, but I think it might still be operating. I, I, I couldn't tell you for certain. Editor Kiefer here. So, after I recorded this episode with Jane, I did some more searching and found out that you can still buy PlayStation 3 and Vita games digitally. It's just way more convoluted than it needs to be. The storefronts are still available, but you have to buy the games through that storefront on the Vita or PlayStation 3. Not your PlayStation 4, not your PlayStation 5, not your web browser. It has to be through the PlayStation 3 or the Vita. You also can't choose a credit card, a debit account, or your PayPal account. You have to use a PlayStation Store gift card or add funds through the PlayStation website in predetermined increments. So basically, it is possible to still buy games on the PlayStation 3. You just need to jump through way more hoops than necessary and use more than one device. It's 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 stupid. It's very stupid. But the point is, y- you kind of can. All right, back to the show. Continue. This game has a very interesting uh, history of availability. Tekken 5, which was released in 2005, had fully playable emulations of the arcade versions of this game, as well as the original Tekken. The PlayStation version was downloadable on PlayStation 3's PlayStation Network in 2007, and you could also download that version into the PSP. But right now, the only way you can access this game is by subscribing to the premium tier of PlayStation Plus on either the PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5. This is how I play the game. Uh, there's no way to digitally purchase the game now, as far as I can tell. I checked the uh, website, I checked the PlayStation website, and it said the only way I could do was subscribing to the premium tier for the PlayStation Network. So, no, you cannot pay X amount of dollars for it. If you do have a PlayStation 4 or 5, I believe that they will honor your purchase for the PlayStation 3, and you'll be able to play the game that way. But if you didn't already play that game on the PlayStation 3, you have to subscribe to a tiered system. I understand that may be a little convoluted for some listeners, but yeah, it's it's messed up that you can't just buy a game that is available at a different segment of the service. I was not expecting it to be like that paywalled behind a 
subscription service i thought it was because like i was still thinking like oh it's of course you know it was available on the playstation ever for 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 the ps3 so obviously it's still going to be for now <laughs> yeah like you, they like they have they have the capability so why wouldn't they make it available for purchase <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that they just rebooted the playstation network last year and they're still working out a lot of the things especially for their legacy games and it is so weird that so many games that were readily available on the playstation 3 aren't available on the playstation 4 or 5 now i remember you could get like Mega Man Legends 1 and 2 on the PlayStation 3 and you cannot do that today. Uh and so many PlayStation 2 era games you can only stream and not download uh because they're tiered with the PlayStation 3 things which have its own like fucked up sense of emulation that they still haven't figured out for their own console. That's its own can of worms, but the point is shit's fucked <laughs> and I can't fail uh this game because it is technically available in at least one form besides its original today. But it is so messed up that in the PlayStation 1, you had a PlayStation 1 disc, you could put it in a disc, you could play it. If you had a PlayStation 2, you could still put that PlayStation 1 disc in there. You had a PlayStation 3 even, you could put that disc into your PlayStation 3 and it would still play it. But today, it's like, no, you have to pay for our online-only service and you have to pay for the highest tier if you want to play this classic game from 1996. Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's a monumental and tremendous game that was highly highly popular on the playstation one and is a huge core part of the console's legacy and is a huge part of sony's success in the video game market but hey you know sorry (laughs) highest tier tekken 2 was a tremendous tremendous success on the playstation one it currently holds a score of 89 under review aggregator website metacritic uh, some other information i found doing some research for this episode uh, english footballer david james was a tekken fan a quote I found from an ESPN article where he talks about his declining performance into 1997 says, quote, I was getting carried away playing Tekken 2 and Tomb Raider for hours on end. <laughs> Video games destroy performance on field. <laughs> that is my anti-drug. <laughs> yeah, you see, like if esports would have been around then, he could have just retired and been like, I'm going to become a professional Tekken player. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know who he made so bad. Uh, cause like, I, I want him to, like, if, if it is an excuse, like, I hope it's legitimate and I hope that he has like feelings about the Tekken 2 lore. I would love to have you on David James if you're available. I don't know how reputable you are today. You're English. It's tenuous, but let, let's link. <laughs> <laughs> Someone find his representative, email yeah. him, get him on the bonus content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Patreon exclusive English footballer David James talks about how Tekken 2 ruined his life. (laughs) Uh, God. Uh, But we're not here to reduce this game's legacy to a series of numbers, and we're certainly not here to talk about soccer or English people. (laughs) We're here to talk about the impact this game had on our guests, so let's get into it. Jane, what do you like about this game that you wish more video games would do? Well, um, it's it's just like, that's kind of hard to quantify, but I really... I feel like this game captured like the high point of when games were really like gearing people towards like, Oh, so you have a friend over, you know, or like, Oh, you're like the person that you're playing with is like sitting right next to you. It's a very good game for that. And it, like, it, it definitely feels designed and geared towards that. Like I miss that. And like I said, it's really hard, even with fighting games now, it's like all, you know, like Tekken seven, you know, everything's geared towards online play. 
it just it, it, lo- it just it just loses that community feel i feel like you know like i don't know i just have a lot of feelings about online i guess but uh but yeah it it, it captures that certain like era of like co-op couch play uh one to two player very well and also i just feel like you know, like the attention to like the little details and the backgrounds and the music and everything feels like very, like very well thought out. A lot of like time and energy was put into the planning and to the aesthetics of everything. And I don't know, it's like the game wouldn't be half as good if it didn't have as many memorable characters as it did, if it didn't have as many, like, like you want to know about these characters. It's not like, I think with a lot of fighting games, Sometimes like, you know, they can have a bunch of characters, but like, you know, you don't come away with being like, oh, I want to know about each and every one of these people. You you may have like one or two people that like characters that you like a lot. But like with the Tekken series, I feel like every like what they really excel at is like every character feels like fleshed out and like a unique thing, even like the palette swaps. Like, yeah, like a lot of these like like King Armor King. Yeah, it's basically both. It's just King again with a different, <laughs> different costume. Or like, um, like prototype Jack is just you know, Jack without human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's still, but they're like unique enough that you still like. They feel like unique characters. They don't feel like you know they're just slapping a different costume onto onto the person. So, I I like that. I like that that sense of like uniqueness and fullness and even though the story is ridiculous i do like the whole japanese soap opera element to it and that's kind of fun and there's just a lot like there's a lot to keep you to get to get you hooked in beyond like just gameplay mechanics or whatever i 100 agree like i said i had a tremendous time playing this game and it was not it's not a nostalgic experience for me it just it just felt genuinely fun to play and i was delighted by a lot of the cgi endings which ranged from goofy to badass to weirdly sad like the uh the jack 2 ending where he's giving a a, a flower oh, yeah. to the little girl and then like a satellite just shoots the entire back half of his body out and he just shuts down right in front of her traumatizing her and it's just like oh my god that all happened in 10 seconds and i'm just my day is ruined i, I didn't want to see that. that's what he gets for winning the tournament <laughs> <laughs> he wins the tournament or no, just in the uh, whenever you beat the arcade oh, mode, yeah. like I, I always assume like the ending is implying like this is what happens when they won the tournament or whatever this mm-hmm. alternate version, because like but the only canon version is like whatever the sequel decides is the canon version. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like some of this stuff is canon and then some of the stuff isn't because it's inherently contradictory to each other. Jack two getting his back literally blown out in front of somebody else is canon. Uh, apparently because they keep yeah. making new jacks in each sequel and i think they're up to you know coming up on jack eight now this in Tekken one- three i think it's like implied that that little girl grows up to like design the new jack that's in that game gun jack or whatever yeah i'm pretty sure is the like is the lore behind that that game yeah which is fun i, I think that's fun that they like give a little girl lore and make her a part <laughs> of that that's exactly the kind of thing a soap opera would do is just bring back a, a character 18 years later to do some some shit like that um uh like a, another weirdo one is uh god it's anna and nina is that is are those the sisters yeah those are the spy sisters yeah so sisters (laughs) one ending is this kind of tasteful like okay like clearly there is like tension between these two and one of them is standing at the grave of their family and then bumps into the other one on the way out and that's like a whole like 
a morning thing. And then another ending where the other one is like revenge porn, where the one is sneaking into the other's bathroom to take a picture of them just to bully them and treat them like shit. And it's like, oh, okay, um, that's that's super 90s. There's a there's a lot going on there. And apparently the canon that happens in that storyline is that like when one of them loses the tournament, like just to fuck with them, Kazuya cryogenically freezes her and the other sister's so devastated by it that she has to also be cryogenically frozen. And Kazuya's like, fucking Yeah, all right. I didn't kill her. Okay. That's 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 yeah, that's what I mean. Like not like everything in this fuck in this game series is just so over the top and ridiculous. Like when you really like just you if we were to just sit down and like try and rationally discuss the nuances of the storyline of Tekken, it would just sound ridiculous. Yeah. And that, that's why I think it's so funny that they tried to make a live action Tekken film, because it's like, how are you going to you can't there's no way to do all of this into a film and make it worth anything and apparently the Tekken film is not good from what I know <laughs> so <laughs> my, my thing about that is you tell me there is a live action Tekken film and my mind immediately goes to Kangaroo Jack and how dog shit that movie was <laughs> and it's like mm, no <laughs> I don't even know if they put Roger in the Tekken film they should have they, they should have, have and that's movie. that's the whole thing it's like you have to put a kangaroo in the Tekken film if you make it you can't put a kangaroo in the film because Kangaroo Jack is so terrible it's contradictory there you go <laughs> uh, apparently the, the the backstory of that film it was supposed to be like an R-rated comedy film and they just sort of recut it into a PG kids movie and then lied to the audience about there being a talking kangaroo in it yeah like that was like that was um I think I remember reading a good interview with like Jerry O'Connell about it afterwards because he was like kind of pissed about that because he like he was like, yeah, when I signed on to do this movie, I signed on to it because because I thought I was going to be doing this like R rated comedy and I wanted to like kind of go in that more direction. And then they called me and they're like, oh, yeah, we're turning it into a family kids film. And he's like, that's not what I signed up to do. I did not want to make that. And so (laughs) I got Batman forever to get there was like a couple of times that that happened in that early 2000s. There was that movie snow dogs. I think they did that, did that with as well, where they like tried to imply that like Cuba Gooding jr. Was like going to be hanging out with talking dogs, but it was just a dream sequence of him like talking to the dogs. And that's what they showed in all the trailers. (laughs) (laughs) So kids were like, why, what, where are the talking dogs? Why was that the thing that they were trying to pull people in with, like talking animals specifically? It's like, let's lie. Let's lie. Why so not just hard make you- a talking animal film then if that's what you're going to like try and make? Because you're like, well, obviously that's what people want to see, but we just don't feel like actually making that movie. So mm-hmm. we're going to trick you into thinking that that's what this movie is. But uh, but we just didn't feel like making it. So here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is why people hate Hollywood elites. <laughs> They're lying to us in the media about talking animals and kangaroo Jack. But let's go back to Tekken. Um, <laughs> Michael Shannon should be in Tekken, is what I'm saying. Yeah, let's get a new Tekken film going and we'll get Michael Shannon to play Kazi. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. <laughs> if anybody can do it, no. <laughs> Uh, but no, talking about stuff that's great about Tekken, <laughs> going back to that. Um, one thing that I really loved about this game that really sent me back to my childhood was that team battle mode where you could just like, yeah, team battle mode ruled. I love playing that. 
you're talking about like the cooperative like experience of playing that game with another person that is so much in the spirit of what playing with another person uh, for hours on a video game that is like on the surface simple how much fun that could be because you could just like pick like countless characters and you can just throw them at each other and have like you're basically setting customized rules for yourself yeah, I used to do that with my siblings all the time. I mean, that was part of also why you wanted to unlock all the characters because you wanted to be able to like have as many people to choose from when you play, like do stuff like that. You know, it's like, yeah, I want to play with with the grandpa and also with uh, the kangaroo and the devil on my team. <laughs> you can only do that by beginning ar- beating arcade mode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like those teams, like. That, that like almost like inspires your imagination even more. Like, why are you using this team configuration? Like, what is your imagination doing to like justify that? Are you guys like telling a little story with like heroes versus villains or like weirdos versus weirdos, whatever you're doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, I did, uh, th- there was like a team battle mode equivalent in, uh, the Budokai Tenkaichi game, like specifically two and three, you could have up to five characters on your team. And I remember like going down with like a pen and paper with my uh, little brother and like sort of crafting uh, scenarios where you have like team configurations. So it's like what five characters could we make fight these five other characters or three on threes or whatever. And it's just like it makes the imagination go wild. And I can just imagine like kids uh, doing that with like Tekken 2, like just like making little scenarios or like just weird little rules and playing within that space. You know, you may, it's funny you mentioned Dragon Ball Z, actually, because I feel like Part of why I even got into that show as a kid was because of Tekken, because, you know, you just got so I got got so into that game and just like, you know, creating this like world, you know, this greater world within my own like imagination with my brothers and stuff. And then to like just randomly stumble upon this like cartoon that was like kind of like what I was imagining, like a, a Tekken series would be in a way. Mm hmm. That's and so I just got like really into that show because I was already so into Tekken. So I was, uh, it was kind of making me think. And I know there they, there was a Tekken anime film that wasn't very good that came out around that time, same time. But I was just thinking like, I wonder if like instead of like Dragon Ball coming over, if like they had developed a Tekken anime series and brought that over for Toonami instead around the same time, if like Tekken, if the Tekken series would have like taken off the way that Dragon Ball did because. People are already familiar with the Tekken characters and stuff. And I don't know. It's 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 interesting for me to think about. <laughs> I had to look this up to verify it because I thought that there was something that Netflix was doing. And there is. There is a six episode uh, Tekken anime on Netflix uh, that follows. It's a it's it's the coming of age story of Jin, uh, something that the game director Katsuhiro Harada wanted to emphasize since Tekken 3 that did not highlight Jin's past. Uh, show <laughs> Jin's tragic backstory. So they they eventually got to it. Uh, it came out in late 2022. So um, not sure, you know if it's good or not. <laughs> I did not look. <laughs> let me let me pull that back up because uh, they did have a. Um, I don't know if you ever saw you you not, I don't know if you ever saw it, but they, there was a anime film version of Tekken that was loosely based around Tekken Two, uh, and like Kazuya and June were the main characters in the the film but it was like kazuya was portrayed in the film in the anime film as being like far more of a like try like like a, of a complicated guy like he had more good in him than evil or whatever like he was like mm-hmm. portray- like then like he was way more of the like 
normal anti-hero than just like a straight up piece of shit that he is <laughs> in the actual game. So no, I love him as a piece of shit. Keep that going. <laughs> like I, we have too many reuse and things like that. Just give me like an asshole whose insistence upon being an asshole just ruins multiple generations and lives. Like that's yeah. Yeah. The way that Virtua Fighter is uh, like series committed to uh, the reality of fighting one another. Tekken is committed to the reality of living everyday life where there's just overwhelming capitalistic assholes who are evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a pattern of like the games that I really got into around that time being where like the, where like corporations are like the main villains of the Mm -hmm. like thing like this and final fantasy seven being like the two big ones. And I'm like, I wonder if that influenced like my, (laughs) my feelings about capitalism now as a, as a almost 30 year old. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't speak to that because uh, I played final fantasy seven just a couple years ago and I played uh, this game like a few weeks ago. So I got to, I mean, I I love both of these games. I love final fantasy seven so much and I even love the remake. So like these are all great themes that I get to pick up on and enjoy as an adult. Damn, like growing up in the 90s was so hard because like people could just do that and it would become like a months long yeah, debate like, on the internet. <laughs> it's fucking crazy that like Final Fantasy 7 came out and the main characters are terrorists, like yeah. eco terrorists. And like I'm imagine like and that that's like the biggest indicator of like what of like pre what was acceptable pre 9/11 to do in media and what was acceptable post 9-11. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I like, there's no way that final fantasy seven would have like been given like as much of a push in the U S if it had come out like post 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's like, no, we can't, we can't allow that, you know? Like, yeah. Like it's so weird because like the, when square was hurting for money, after uh, spirits within didn't do well and they went back to the, the final fantasy seven. Well, it feels like a lot of that like political bite went away and didn't, I wouldn't say diminish the art of final fantasy seven. Final fantasy seven is always going to be there and ready to play whenever you want to, but it did sort of like focus the attention away from those themes and just sort of make it into like the, the, the same media branding that everything else is sort of becoming like, yeah. And like, you know, I played a lot of those, you know, I played dirge of Cerberus and I think I had, crisis core on the psp and like you know i never saw advent children but yeah i never like there wasn't like the supplemental stuff that they were releasing around that time it just never felt like it was it never felt like it added anything it was more of like look how emo vincent is like he's such an emo (laughs) character and Mm -hmm. he's a heartthrob and this is like 2005 when like my chemical romance are everywhere and like so you should play this game because 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 this guy's the main character <laughs> that's how that's how it felt to me <laughs> yeah you know and on a level like i'm not saying i miss that but like the 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 way that spinoffs were back then you know with the playstation p being like let's have like a side character get their own video game like daxter and uh and a uh, clank from ratchet and clank and then like <laughs> let's have a zach fair uh spinoff like a character that's in a uh, final fantasy for all of five minutes and then also let's get vincent in there a character who is literally optional and missable I know. That, that was the <laughs> craziest part it's like you can play the entirety of final fantasy 7 and not ever have him as a party member no and like yeah. he's that like he's that like you know superfluous to the actual story and in fact it was like i never even got him as a character until um until I got a strategy guide because like 
the stuff like I wasn't smart enough to figure out the clues to figure out what the, the, the combination of the lock was to unlock him or whatever. It was like a kind of a convoluted process to get him. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, interesting that they decide, but maybe that's why they decided to him because it was like, well, this is a guy who's like backstory is like, like he, his, his like character story is like barely touched on in this game, in the main game. So I guess we can do something with him or yeah, whatever. <laughs> Since he's optional, he can't really have much of an impact on the plot, but he can feel a way about it. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He's just funny because he's also like the only Final Fantasy VII character that like wears what he is on his sleeve. Like everybody else is like a contradiction where like, oh, Barrett is like this big, burly eco-terrorist, but he's actually a very sweet, sensitive and thoughtful man. And Tifa is like this buff fighter who's actually super sensitive. And uh, Aerith is this little gremlin going around causing trouble. And then it's like Vincent's Vincent. That's just what he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like like the main like the main crux of like Final Fantasy VII is that like you start off with cloud just being this like, you know, stereotype of the silent protagonist who's like emotionless or whatever. And then it turns out that he's just like big failure of a dude who like just kind of fucked up and was like overly emotional or whatever. And like lost all his memories and was like, I'm sorry guys, I can feel and care about things again. And then (laughs) it's like Vincent's an emo vampire. Who's an emo vampire. (laughs) <laughs> he took my wife cloud is the clouds like i don't even know who i am <laughs> he's an immortal vampire that's why like i said it was like just so clearly like that was also like a, just a huge ploy to like cash in on the whole like hot topic era i feel like giving him his own game because <laughs> he's a very hot topic character <laughs> yeah Look, I, like it, it would have worked on me. I thought Vincent was a very cool design character. Oh, I own the game. Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I played it. I owned it. I thought Vincent was cool, but uh, like being an adult now, you totally see how transparent it was. Why they made those decisions? <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it. I just think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I, I did like. I'm glad that like Final Fantasy VII kind of does have like a radical spirit about it again. Um, with the with this new game, that's also like kind of reckoning with the legacy of final fantasy seven a bit in the meta text of it so hey. yeah i i think that's really cool and it, it's a very like they could make it the twin peaks the return of games i literally said right. that yeah like yeah. The, the, <laughs> like the way that they did the uh redid the evangelion movies or twin peaks the return like let's yeah let's go back to it now that we're all mentally healthier again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> No game is perfect, even the ones that we love to death. What is something that you wish this game did better? Um, well, anything that I wish that, that it could do better, I feel like they improved on in Tekken 3 anyways. So it's like kind of hard to to say, but like it really like for me, it's just like the platonic ideal of what a fighting game should be, you know, so it's hard for me to be like oh it should add like add this or that like i said you know like the storyline it can be a little ridiculous sometimes but that's also what makes it fun so yeah. it's like i mean I, I get why this game like tekken can be a little bit tekken 2 like or whatever can be a little bit um intimidating to like people who are just like who have never played a fighting game before or whatever because it can like seem a little overwhelming 
But I feel like out of all of them, Tekken 2 is a little bit more forgiving on people than like the later games are. Because to be fair, when you're playing through arcade mode, the difficulty spikes a lot once you hit Kazuya and then it spikes a thousand times when you fight Devil, or at least that's always what it felt like to me. Like when I was a kid, I'd have to get my um, dad sometimes <laughs> to help me beat beat the Devil character because it was just too hard. And, that, and, 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 and I liked that it forced you to basically beat it with every single character if you wanted to get every other like unlockable character. So you basically had to play as everyone. And you mm-hmm. just aren't going to be as good with some of the characters <laughs> as you are with others. So it's going to be more difficult um, cer- at certain times. So, I mean, that that can be a little intimidating. But, but if you really, truly just want to unlock all the characters, the easiest thing to do is to just mark it to easy mode put one round put it on one round only and you can un- <laughs> and then it becomes a little like a lot easier because then and then you can unlock everyone like if that's all you care about but like if you want to play it like the developers intend you to play it, <laughs> it can be a little difficult <laughs> no i did that a few times i i definitely like cranked the difficulty setting down to easy and uh made it one round per your advice ahead of time because i did want to <laughs> just like get to the point where i was playing with all the characters and the fact that the game is customizable like that in 1995 yeah. is a testament unto itself. So that's something I always I appreciate as a, as a kid. I appreciated that so much um, being able to do that because like it would have, you know, at a certain point you're like, yeah, I just want to have all the characters to play with team team battle mode. So being able to like it, do, the game doesn't punish you for doing it on easy mode for be, trying to be arcade mode on easy because a lot of games from that time would like if you beat the story mode or arcade mode on easy mode you wouldn't get anything out of it you had to beat it on normal mode or you know or whatever if you wanted to actually unlock the stuff so that was nice of them (laughs) yeah and the game still offers you plenty of challenges for people who did crank it down to easy and felt like some sort of like oh no uh, i'm not a real gamer like you have survival mode and time attack mode in there that really test your ability beyond just like being able to win a round or two so yeah many ways that this again this game's customizable and uh speaks to the versatility of it something i wish this game did better uh like i think what you said i haven't played the rest of the tekken game so i can't really speak to you know something that the game probably doesn't fix in a future entry um going let's sort of reverse that question a little bit do you think that there were any changes to the franchise since two that you sort of wish that they would go back to well i didn't really like tekken 4 very much i remember that i remember like not enjoying a lot of the changes that they made in that game my thing, my big thing with like Tekken Two, well, I was really disappointed what they did with Tekken Three. The only like real big disappointment was since it was such a big time skip, and then they made the storyline choice that the big bad of that game, Ogre, killed off a bunch of like characters that I liked oh. in Tekken Two. They have analogs to some of those people who are connections to stuff, but they didn't necessarily play exactly the same or the ways that I liked. Um, so that always bugged me <laughs> from Tekken 3 that they did such a big time jump and made such a dr- radical change in the story. But like, and then, and then, but then I kind of, you know, you can kind of get used to that once you're, uh, once you're playing, you know, you play Tekken 3 enough, you know, you get used, you're like, that's how it is now. But then they reversed all of that. Like they like said, oh, this person actually wasn't dead. He was just missing or this person wasn't like they slowly reintroduced all those people through the games, you know, in the subsequent games and just made everything more convoluted. So I guess if anything, it does better is like as ridiculous as the story is in Tekken 2. It is by far 
way less convoluted than whatever the fucking story is in Tekken 7 now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's probably that's probably uh, something that the later games, the story has become a little bit too uh, trying to explain it now to some to somebody um, who has no idea what Tekken is would it would they would say you sound like a crazy person. So (laughs) probably I did try and read up a bit on the future of the franchise just to uh, see how where like where the direction went for this. And one thing I was very surprised by uh, was uh, Jun Kazama, the mother of the the future protagonist of the series and uh, somebody who was intimately involved with the antagonist of this game disappears from the series after this game and never really pops up again as a as a character until apparently Tekken 8 uh, is going to have her as a playable character for the first time in the mainline series. It's uh, yeah, that's surprising to me because they that she was like the one actual like, oh, no, she's dead, dead. We're never going to bring her back. Mm -hmm. Everyone else will bring back (laughs) but her. Um, And now they finally. Yeah, that's what you said. It sounds like they finally went back on that a little bit. But like, but yeah, that's the thing about this game series. It's like no one ever stays dead. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, or they come back and they're like some demon possessed from something else. I remember in Tekken five. Oh God. Yeah. That's one thing that one thing about Tekken five that I did that, that I hated uh, so much was the, um, the final boss was uh, Jin Pachi, the grandfather of uh, Kazuya, the father of, Heihachi he was like this demon possessed like monster who was so ridiculously hard to beat like Hmm. like I mean like one of the hardest bosses I've ever like faced in any game ever like even on the easiest difficulty he was really 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 hard like he had these ridiculous moves like he would stomp the ground and like paralyze you and then he'd like take you out in two moves or whatever and, and mm-hmm. he was like the one like like one of the things about Tekken is that like eventually you get to unlock the boss at the end. Like he wasn't even an unlockable character. Like really you couldn't, as, you couldn't even play as him. Like eventually he was that overpowered. Um, <laughs> that was so frustrating. Like I never beat all of Tekken five with all the characters because I hated fighting him so much. Like he was, it would stress me out that much. I get like like upset <laughs> i was like i cannot deal with this so yeah the difficulty spike in tekken 5 that's something that i did not like um mm-hmm. that they did so yeah not every future game was better than than tekken 2 i feel like so <laughs> yeah no i mean the reason i like doing this podcast is like i always approach people asking them like what's the game that means the most to you not necessarily like what do you think is the best game ever let's talk about the greatest game of all time because in my experience with this uh, series, uh, people tend to point at three as like, oh, this is like when the series was like, yeah. But like with you, you immediately like defaulted to Tekken 2. And I thought that was oh great. And I, I was stoked to play it. And I'm stoked about this conversation just because of I can understand why this is sort of like the formative direction that the series goes in. But a lot of people argue it's three. And honestly, for me, like three is like three is better like graphically like i mean it's like a a giant improvement like and actually tekken 3 is probably one of the best games graphically on the playstation one period Mm -hmm. but um the thing that i one of the things that i do like more about tekken 2 than tekken 3 is i think the roster of characters is better like on tekken 2 i think the characters they have are more memorable and half of the characters from tekken 2 do not return in tekken 3 so it's like 
that's like for me that's like the biggest mark against tekken 3 of why i would rather go back and play tekken 2 sometimes is that it, it just has more characters i liked um and i'm fonder of than tekken 3 has so <laughs> yeah that's that's more than fair i mean this this game itself it's 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 great and i think some people start games from a certain place or some people just jump immediately to what the most recent game would be. If somebody were to get into Tekken today, they probably jump straight to seven. But I'm glad I had an opportunity to sort of see uh, a game franchise in its infancy and gain an appreciation for it on a foundational level. So thank you for giving me that experience. It genuinely means a lot to me. And I probably would never play Tekken 2 specifically without your recommendation. Yeah, I'm glad you were. I'm glad you were able to. And I'm glad you had such a good time with it. Um what was your experience like going through the arcade mode, like with all the different people? Oh, I mean, the other thing was like, I didn't really have a preconceived notion of what Tekken is like besides like, oh, this is the harder franchise between like the Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Tekken. That was just kind of my perception of it is like, this is a game that's a lot more about throws and tackles and grabs. And then, you know, Mortal Kombat is very much about like, make the other guy bleed as much as possible. And Street Fighter is a lot about like, there's some weirdo shit in this one, but like there are some, there are like very core characters you can understand, like your reuse. So I think a big thing was like this barrier isn't as high as, you know, people hype it up to be. It is a game that is a lot more about patience. And since it's less directly like you, like your point about it, like you put it beautifully, like it's a lot more about the defense than the offense. You have to know when to block and then when to, you know, time your attacks based off of that. And that smaller health bar speaks to that. I think it was just like give, giving me an appreciation for different ways uh, a fighting game can be. And I just appreciated that. And then my experience going through the arcade mode was very much like, I don't know as much about Tekken as I thought I did because I only really recognized like maybe three or four characters in total. And one of them was because, hey, that Yoshimitsu guy's in fucking Soul Calibur. <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is he doing here? And me having to get that delightful experience of seeing a guy sort of jump around between franchises. I thought those endings were all delightful. Like I said, like the fact that like I could get to uh, the very end and then like see two guys having a jump uh, kickoff between a uh, Paul and a uh, Marshall, or I get this like alternate ending of Tekken two where uh, Kazuya defeats his devil form by using the body of his dad to block the laser blast of his devil form and in two blows gets to kill his demon and also his dad at the same time and he has this smug smile and it's like all right two different things that's the true ending in my heart yeah. <laughs> uh, you know like we all kind of want to kill our fathers at the deep by <laughs> using kill our demons by using the body shield of our father yeah you know Tekken. it's a very it's a it's a real when you really get down to it it's a it's a huge oedipal uh fantasy game but the mother is never seen so it doesn't have that aspect to it. <laughs> mothers disappear and dads are always going to come back <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, you know, I like it, it's great that this franchise is about like three, <laughs> three men beating the shit out of each other from across generations. But like, hire more female guards, I guess. I don't know. I I found out that like Jun is actually like the villain of the tag team games in like their own weird way, and that I don't know if I'm stoked about that just because like, oh cool, a girl gets to be evil too, or like horrified that that's the only thing like the morally it's, upright it's, character. It, gets it's to a be. really weird way that they do it because they don't ever like, and they've always been cagey about whether it actually is her or not. It's like this thing called unknown, and it's like 
she looks like she's like nude, but she's like covered in this black slime and there's like a wolf demon that's over her head. And she has like a lot of Jun's moves, but I think people have been trying to figure it out and it's like, well, you know, it might be, but it's probably not her, but it could be. So it's like, even that it's like not even a hundred percent sure, but like Tekken tag tournaments, not even canon. So yeah. You know, it's that's just a game for. I liked that game just because they were like, "All right, we'll just put all of the Tekken game characters into one game, so you can just use them all if you want to." So I liked that. It's like Gonzo fan service, which is fun, yeah. and also it's just fucking weird because of like, "Hey, check out who is like the final boss in this one." It's like, "Oh shit, the person you haven't used since 1996." Yep. Uh, <laughs> at, like that was that was fun, but like getting the endings was like really a legitimately exciting experience because it has that very 1996 fmv animation and paul is making the weirdest faces and uh you get to see him punch a boulder and that's like his whole ending i thought i just think like there's something extremely charming about this and it's not because like i'm nostalgic for it but just because like games were different but like not in a way that that is shitting on a lot of the games now because there's plenty of great art out now and they're great fighting games and i don't think tekken is bad now but i just find something so moving about the way that this game was able to do so much with so little it really is a good testament of like why um fighting games around that time and especially like you know the playstation like like the playstation was like great for fighting games it was great for um rpgs and you really see why um in a game like this i feel like oh yeah for sure so uh ending question for you before we move on to the end here you know, this is obviously a game that means a lot to you. So I am offering you the opportunity to transport yourself into the Tekken franchise and you get to have a special move and you get to pick your stage. What would your special attack be? Uh, and where would you set as your arena? Um, I mean, if I had to, I've al- I always liked the move that um, Heihachi did, the, the Noogie move, where yes. the electricity comes out while he's doing it. Uh, like We used to like make fun of that all the time as kids, so that'd probably be my move. And I'd want to I'd want to fight on top of the uh, skyscraper in Hong Kong that kind of like where they're kind of like trying to emulate the whole like Jackie Chan film aesthetic mm-hmm. like that, that was always my favorite stage. So that or the Hall of Mirrors, the Hall of Mirrors was cool. And um, or like because Kazuya's throne room where it's just like completely dark, but the carpet's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always thought that was cool, too. <laughs> These are good answers, but let me sort of like reframe the question a little bit. Like you can make your own special technique and you can like make any sort of stage oh. of your own from scratch. What would what would you do? Well, if I can do any, they, they do have lasers in the game, so I might as well. You know, I'd probably just pull a Dragon Ball Z and like do some kind of like laser attack, <laughs> like energy <laughs> attack or something to like uh, be for my special. And um, yeah, stage. That's hard. Maybe like fight on like train tracks or something and there's like a train coming. Oh, that's good. Like you have to have like your fight has to be over before the train comes and hits you both or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That that's good. Like the the, when the timer runs out, the train hits you. That I think that's a good that's a good mechanic. They should add that to a game. That'd be fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I have an answer for for me too, actually, now that I passed this question. Uh, if I were in this game. And uh, if I were to have like a special attack, I would probably like have a grab that just lets me yell like whatever my specific interest is at whatever given moment at the player and just sort of like bore them to death. 
like right now, I would probably just be like grabbing the bite of that. Like, have you ever read Chainsaw Man? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then uh, my stage, uh, I'm a Southern boy. Uh, I grew up in Virginia. I'm living in Georgia now. But one constant that is in like all the Southern states is a Waffle House. And what better fighting arena than a fucking Waffle House? Yeah, I think that that deserves to be a fighting game stage. Weird that diners aren't more commonplace. And what better place than the PvP zone of the South? So, yeah. Waffle House. Waffle House, yeah. It'd be like the uh, that Waffle House worker who basically did a Tekken move to deflect <laughs> the chair getting thrown. <laughs> and she got fired. I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Imagine a military that like just dis- <laughs> discharges its best soldier. <laughs> <laughs> that person is holding down the fort and you fire them. <laughs> What did they, I, I just don't, what did they expect her to do? Get hit by the chair? Like, mm. like she was defending herself. Come on. They don't give you health insurance at the Waffle House. You gotta get <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, put her in Tekken. <laughs> that, that, that'd be great. Just make her the character. I don't need to be in the game. Um, and then she can block every, every attack. I don't know. It's, it's going to be broken and unbalanced, but so, so is Waffle House. Yeah. I mean, it's not as, not as, if they wouldn't do it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to give this girl her bag. You talked about how Dragon Ball Z is sort of like informed by your love of Tekken. Uh, do you have anything else that's sort of like, oh, I love Tekken? And maybe that's why I love this. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't have watched um, the film Enter the Dragon later on in life. Like it, I watched it in high school, but I probably wouldn't have been as like wanting to have watched it without Tekken and the whole like Bruce Lee analog connection there and stuff. So um, if you like Tekken, I'd watch that film. It's got a lot of the elements from it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it ties into my next question, which is like, besides, uh, you know, Tekken itself, if somebody likes this franchise or just like wants to get a better sense of your taste in general, what would you recommend to listeners, whether it's a book, a show, movie, game, music artist, or otherwise, just based off of their enjoyment of this game or your enjoyment of it? Um, If you really like Tekken and the whole Mashima family dynamic, you should go and watch the world, the WWF from 1998 <laughs> through 2001 <laughs> and just get the whole McMahon family dynamic, uh, very similar to, uh, the Mishima family, Vince McMahon and Heihachi are, uh, very good analogs for each other. So, uh, that's my recommendation. Attitude era WWF. <laughs> if you like Tekken, you know, came out around the same time. <laughs> combat and lots of unique characters and family drama it's all there good answer good answer uh <laughs> i love the specificity of it i have two recommendations based off of uh, our discussion today the first one is kind of cheating but i mean it's it's the one that's most obvious to me lei wulong is a tribute to the incomparable action star jackie chan uh, since Lei is a police officer based out of Hong Kong, uh, much like the protagonist of the 1985 film Police Story, directed by and starring Jackie Chan, it is, without hyperbole, one of the greatest action films ever made. The stunt work is incredible. It is hilarious. It's spectacular. 
Also starring in it is uh, Bridget Lin, who is also in one of my favorite films ever, Chungking Express, uh, which is directed by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, it also stars Maggie Chung, who is in amazing films like In the Mood for Love, also by Wong Kar Wai, and uh, Irma Vep, uh, also Hero, another action film. I listed a bunch of movie titles, but my main recommendation out of all of them is Police Story because of the direct lineage between uh, Jackie Chan and Lei Wu Long. And then my second recommendation, uh, this one is a bit of a stretch, so bear with me. You talked about this uh, earlier. In 1998, there was an anime adaptation of the Tekken games that was released as a two-part OVA and brought to America as a 60-minute feature called Tekken the Motion Picture. Uh, <laughs> that's not my recommendation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, gonna, yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> but the voice of Jun Kazama in the English dub is, I shit you not, Edie Patterson. Edie Patterson, uh, for those who don't know, is uh, Fran in the movie Knives Out. Uh, and she is also in the Danny McBride, Jody Hill series, Vice Principals as Jen. And huh. she's also in the incredible McBride Hill series, The Righteous Gemstones. And that's my recommendation. Uh, the premise is that a family that built its fortune on televangelism and megachurch grips live absurdly opulent lives. And the children of John Goodman, the patriarch of the series, are emotionally immature, stunted, power-hungry freaks. Danny McBride, Adam Devine, and Edie Patterson all play Goodman's kids. and They're, they're just hilarious and pathetic characters, uh, but Patterson is just a fucking revelation as Judy Gemstone. Uh, Skylar Gisondo, who was uh, in Booksmart as like the funny kid in that and uh, was the BN, uh, BN kid from Licorice Pizza, uh, he plays uh, McBride's kid. So you have three generations of a fucked up family that's constantly at each other's throats, constantly trying to sabotage one another and constantly discovering new layers to their own depravity. And that's why I connected to Tekken 2, which is also a story about <laughs> intergenerational infighting by rich opulent assholes who just want to destroy everything around them. It's hilarious. Uh, check it out. Uh, the supporting cast is also incredible. Walton Goggins plays Uncle Baby Billy, who is one of the greatest characters in all of fiction with one of the most incredible names ever. And he should absolutely be a character in Tekken 8. I'm looking forward oh, to it. I can see Walter Goggins as a Tekken character. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. got a face for it. Editor Kiefer here. Oh my God, I forgot to recommend The Northman. It's this gnarly epic film that's based on the Scandinavian legend Amleth whose story would be adapted by William Shakespeare as Hamlet. It's directed by Robert Eggers, who also directed The Witch in the Lighthouse, and he's three for three with this movie. It's got Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Nicole Kidman. Uh, Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke, and Bjork also appear in it. Like the Tekken games, it's this revenge quest with very few sympathetic figures, and there's an action set piece towards the end that very much calls to mind Tekken. I love this movie. It's one of my favorites of 2022. Uh, check it out. Final Final round. Round. Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show. Please, before you go, promote the hell out of yourself. Um, yeah, you can um, follow me on Twitter at Static Blue Bat. I tweet a bunch. I'm always on there. Um, probably too much. <laughs> and uh, you can also uh, you listen to the podcast, Pacino Pod. It's on all of the places you can find podcasts that's on spotify apple and uh, soundcloud give us a listen even if you don't really know anything about al pacino uh it's still fun to listen to if you like movies you can also follow the podcast on pacino underscore pod at twitter and we got a patreon and we got some bonus episodes there where we talk about stuff that's not 
films that aren't Pacino related. So got it all. I think that's all. <laughs> all right. So that's Static Blue Bat on Twitter. Listen to the Pacino pod. Subscribe to her Patreon because, look, there's a lot of good bonus content on there as well. Jane, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I'm your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Tekken 2 or any other game we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I'll gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Corner. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you'll get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Danny Vegito and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for this show was made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Jane's. All right. I think that's it. Perfect. 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 You win. You win. win. My name Dunkachino. Dunka 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 Dunkachino. Game over. over.